thousand and one by one where each week we take a film out of the book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam st john and my name is ian woodington and we are welcome welcoming you into season three we are welcoming you into the new year um we are recording this on new year's day uh one one twenty one so happy new year happy i mean by the time by the time people hear it it'll be the 15th which i think is by that point in the month inappropriate to say happy new year i'm one hey. of those people if you don't say if you don't say it in the first week you missed your opportunity and that's totally true but you know it's it's is it more about saying happy new year or fuck off and good riddance to 2020 you know what i mean yeah yeah that, that second one yeah definitely yeah. that second one uh, so so here we are, and if you've been following along, we had some seasonal episodes and some catch-up stuff that we've been doing, and we've been teasing a big episode, and uh, there will be no banter, there will be no recommends this week, uh, because we are tackling the Toy Story anthology, all four theatrically released Toy Story films. Um so before we before we launch into, uh, I think what we're gonna do is go uh, chronologically. We're gonna do each one in order and talk about them. But I wanted to ask you, Ian, um, what's your your viewing experience with these? Like, when did you when did you see these movies? So I my my first my first viewing was theatrical for the first Toy Story, and I remember that very vividly. There are two two of my very early movie going experiences one i've recounted on this show when we did jurassic park uh but toy story i remember this was at a time when uh, i lived in arlington i lived here for a little bit in the 90s before going back to the uk and in arlington there was on main street there was this little one screening one one screen cinema uh and i remember the line around the block for toy story on that opening weekend is me my little brother and my dad going to see that so i do have a, a pretty solid memory of seeing the first one uh i did see the second one in theaters and then three and four i uh three actually so yeah all but three i've seen in the cinemas because we went to, to we went to see four at the uh the cinemark the 21 and over which is great no kids fantastic <laughs> but yeah so three turns out three is the only one i missed uh theatrically gotcha Gotcha. Yeah, I, I know Toy Story for me was one that I didn't see until uh, my grandparents had the, you know, the old school Disney clamshell uh, VHS cover thing. Um, Toy Story 2, I'm pretty sure because I went to Port Susan Middle School and I'm pretty sure that it was like a 
there was a reward for good attendance or good behavior, or whatever. And so a bunch of us got to walk across the, you know, the field across the street and go, we got to go to the, the Stanwood cinemas and we watched it, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, we, we saw Toy Story 3 in Indiana, I think because we were there at that point. And then Toy Story 4 was great because uh, that was the day after we thought we were going to surprise Stella with a really cool birthday gift by going up to the water slides up in Blaine and she hated them. So uh, our backup plan like on the fly was to go take her to see Toy Story 4 in the theaters. <laughs> uh, a better experience than than the water slides? I would say yes. I would say yes. Yeah. Um, Groovy. Well, cool, cool. I just wanted to, I figured I'd ask. And actually, speaking of Stella, um, uh, we're going to take a few seconds now. I'm going to cut away, and I, I asked my daughter, she's six years old, a few questions about the Toy Story films. And so here is what uh, a true blue child thinks of the Toy Story movies. So we're cutting away from the the actual podcast because I need to get an actual child's input on the Toy Story movies. And so I happen to have my six-year-old daughter here with me. Can you can you tell the people listening your full name? Stella Marie St. John! <laughs> you, might, you might have spiked the level there. That was loud. Okay, so we got Stella here. And over the last, uh, at the last week or so, we have watched all of the... Toy Story movies. That, all four. The Toy Story movies. That's right. So, um... So we're going to just, I'm just going to briefly give you a little recap on what happens in each one. Okay. So in the first toy story, that's when we first meet Buzz and he's the new toy mm -hmm. and Woody accidentally knocks him out of the window and they have to try to fight their way to get back to Andy. Right. And then there's Sid mm -hmm. and there's all the other toys and, and stuff. And then it's your dog. Yes. At the very end. Then there's toy story two where Woody gets picked up at the garage sale and we meet Jesse mm -hmm. and, um, and stinky Pete. And they and have the horse. and the horse. Yes, exactly, exactly. And the third one is where Andy's a grown up, or he's he's uh, going he's going to college, and a lot of the toys end up going to the daycare, and we Kanye meet. see, I forgot your name. Ken, uh -huh. the, the Ken Barbie and Lotso the bear. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then in the fourth one, that's when they're now Bonnie's toys, and Bonnie makes Forky, uh -huh. and Woody tries to help Forky, and then we get to see Bo Peep again because she was gone. Her arm fell off. Yes, her arm did fall off. So, so those those are the four movies. So, my first thing is I I wanted to ask you, Stell, would be this: Do you like these movies? Yep. So, what are your favorite things about the movies? Um, your first one, your first one, I liked how um it was Sid and he was trying to break them. Uh huh. And then your second one, I liked how Jesse and your horse were in it. Yep. And your third one, I liked a lot of things in it. <laughs> I liked your Barbie and your Ken doll. Sure, yeah. And your fourth one, I really liked how Bo Peep came back. Okay. So, we were talking and I wanted to ask you, which of these is your favorite? So, which one is your favorite? Your third, your second, your third, and fourth. The second, the third, and the fourth. So the first one is not your favorite. I kind of like it, but it's not a lot my favorite. Okay, so what what about the first one do you not like? I don't really like how Buzz comes along. You don't like how Buzz comes in? <laughs> well, I think, that, do, you like, do you think that he's mean or? I think he's kind of weird in the movie. 
goofy. Okay, that fair enough. Fair enough. Like in the first one, I don't. I'm. It's kind of weird. He thinks he's a, he's a toy. He's a space ranger. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't know that he's a toy yet. That's true. And then in the other movies, he starts to know that he is a toy, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Okay. Until that commercial, like what came up with Buzz. Exactly, and he sees that he's a toy, right? Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. So, who who are your favorite characters in the Toy Story movies? I like, I like Woody, Jesse, your horse Slinky, Mrs. and Mr. Potato Head, Bo Peep in the fourth one. Uh huh. And sometimes Buzz. Sometimes Buzz. So you're not you're not so hot on Buzz. <laughs> yes. That's okay. That's okay. Um, so would you say that you en- but you enjoyed watching all these movies mm-hmm. when you watched them? Okay. So here's my question. If you had to pick one of them to watch, what is your absolute, what's your favorite Toy Story movie? The fourth. The fourth one. Uh-huh. You're crazy. Do you know that? You <laughs> no, are <not>. crazy. <laughs> You're now, crazy. Here's a different question. If you had to watch Toy Story 4 or Coco, what would you watch? Oh, both. <laughs> well, that's fair. Well, Stella, thank you so much for answering some of my questions. And, uh, I think we're going to sign off now. Can you say bye? Bye. So now we're back to the main part of the pod. Uh, Ian, Stella's favorite Toy Story film is the fourth one. Now, I do truly believe that this is a recency bias. I think it's the one that's most actively in her head. But I know that this movie also included uh, Bo Peep as kind of like badass Bo Peep. And Jesse was in it as well. And... Those are those were Stella's two favorite like characters of, of the whole franchise. So I'm not totally surprised, but I don't know. I mean, is that is that shocking to hear, or is it like I don't know? She's a kid. She just likes, you know. No, I I think that tracks, and not just for the like the recency bias. Yeah, I would understand that too. But I think there is a it's there's a lot of positivity as far as female role models go in uh in toy story 4 and as we'll as we'll get into when we when we discuss toy story 4 at length towards the end of the episode uh one of their most nuanced uh antagonists so i i definitely understand that being a favorite yeah okay just yeah you know no no guess this week as we've got four separate films to cover but we did you know i Rarely get to watch the movies we do for the pod with my kids, uh, but these were obviously meant for, especially Sophie. Not so much. She, I don't. She kind of checks in and out. But Stella, this is right up her alley. So it was fun to watch these with her. Okay, man. Are we get? Are we just gonna jump into one? Yeah, let's just do it, man. Okay. According to my Nava computer. The- shut up! Just shut up, you idiot! Sheriff, this is no time to panic. This is the perfect time to panic. I'm lost. Andy is gone. They're going to move from their house in two days, and it's all your fault. My, my fault? If you hadn't pushed me out of the window in the first place. Oh, yeah. Well, if you hadn't shown up your stupid little cardboard spaceship and taken away everything that was important to me. Don't talk to me about importance. Because of you, the security of this entire universe is in jeopardy. What? What are you talking about? Right now, poised at the edge of the galaxy, Emperor Zerg has been secretly building a weapon with the destructive capacity to annihilate an entire planet. I alone have information that reveals this weapon's only weakness. And you, my friend, are responsible for delaying my rendezvous with Star Command. You are a toy! 
you. You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're now uh, you're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. The you first Toy Story, sad, uh, released man. in 1995, uh, directed by oh, yeah, John Lasseter. Well, now we might long. save uh, more of an extended conversation on John Lasseter for our next week's uh, discussion on Pixar, uh, the good and the bad uh, of him. But for now, we'll just say that he is one of the, the main heads behind Pixar, and he directed this movie. Um, the credited screenwriters are Joel Cohen, Alex Sokolaw, Andrew Stanton, and Joss Whedon. The- and Whedon, Whedon contributed some pretty important stuff, uh, especially when it comes to the Buzz character. Yeah, do you want to you can you want to go a little bit more on that? Yeah, so when when Whedon came on board, there had been several drafts, uh, lots of changes, especially to the Woody character. Woody had started out as uh, what they've called he was much more of a jerk, mm-hmm. his very unlikable character in those first couple of preview reels that they showed to the the heads at Disney, um, and he even in a in a in a previous draft, uh, bringing it full circle to four, he was actually a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, who play a, a pivotal role in the fourth one. Um, but when Whedon came in, his big contributions were uh, Bo Peep. Uh, he originally had wanted um, Barbie, but they couldn't license her from Mattel at the time. Uh, he contributed Rex. And as I mentioned, uh, his con- contributions to Buzz were pretty important uh, in that he made him... The, the sort of lack of awareness that Buzz has at the beginning that he is a toy, that's pretty much apparently all Whedon. So a lot of the, the really pivotal stuff and, and part of the stuff that makes that Woody-Buzz relationship so important in this first movie. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so, I mean, our, our voice cast, solid. I mean, just, like, fucking epic. So, obviously, we got Tom Hanks as Woody, we got Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. And I mean, if you want to talk about two of the most prolific names, uh, both in film and television, I mean, holy shit. Like, there you go. I mean, there you go. You got Forrest Gump and Tim the Toolman Taylor going at it in a movie. Um, our supporting voices, we got uh, Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head, Jim Varney as Slinky Dog, Wallace Shawn as Rex, John Ratzenberger as Ham, Annie Potts as Bo Peep. And then I'll uh, be getting to some of the uh, the smaller characters. We've got um, uh, John Morris as the voice of Andy. Uh, Eric Von Detten is Sid, the, the shitty next-door neighbor. Laurie Metcalf plays Andy's mom. And Arlie Ermey uh, plays the sergeant. Uh, did I leave any out that you want to throw some love to? Uh, I would throw um, Joe Ramft in there. He has a cameo as uh, Lenny the Binoculars. He was one of the screenwriters, as you mentioned. Uh, Stanton and Lassiter also have cameos as uh, you hear their voices in some of the commercials. And then a voice actor that I really have a lot of respect for, most people will know him as Fry in Futurama, Billy West actually does the commercial, the Owl's Toy Barn commercial. Nice. So, nice. And what I love about this cast is there is a... You know, they they knew what they were doing was was groundbreaking, and they they peppered in a lot of respect uh, for like working comedians. You know, guys that have been around a while. You've got Don Rickles and and um, John Ratzenberger in there, who Ratzenberger would later to go on be he would become their good luck charm, as yeah. they like to call him. Yeah. Um, and and as I said, with people like Billy West and then Debbie Derryberry, who voices the aliens. Uh, she's famous now for being on F is for Family. If you take a look at their uh, IMDb, 
the, the, the amount of voice work that they've done is monumental. So I think there's a lot of respect for, you know, working voice actors and, and working comedians, not just leaning on huge star power. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I would, I absolutely agree with that. Um, one thing about the movie that I, I absolutely love and, and um, something that I, I definitely took a note on is the length. It's only 81 minutes. And as, as a, as a pacing of a movie goes, this is damn near perfection. I mean, the way that they, and, and I don't want to spill all this yet, but the way in which they convey a lot of information in a short period of time and keep the story going, it's really incredible. And, and that leads in, it kind of into accolades. Now, I, I didn't do a whole lot on accolades for each film because these were big movies every year they came out. I mean, if it's an animated kind of thing, it was either nominated or won any Critics Guild or the big one. I mean, um, the the best animated feature uh, category wasn't around until 2002, so obviously um, this didn't win that. It did win a special Oscar for uh, the achievement of doing a fully uh, computer animated film. It was also nominated though for original screenplay, which is fucking awesome. Uh, song. Yeah, that's that's the, the that's the big one. I think is the recognition for the screenplay. I mean, there was no way it was going to win against something as great as Usual Suspects, but that kind of recognition for a groundbreaking film is is nothing to scoff at. No, no, not at all. Um, and obviously, uh, one of the pivotal one of the uh, one of the few people to be involved really in every single film. You know, Randy Newman's contribution both in terms of the score and songs. Um, both, uh, both nominated at the Academy Awards that well, uh, that year as well. Uh, hey Ian, is this film, was it inducted into the National Film Registry? Yes, it was in 2005. Yeah, that's when we graduated from high school. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's also a really great year for film. The one that stands out in my mind is, uh, Capote and also Good Night and Good Luck, man. Those two movies still revisit those quite often. I can't say that I have, but I probably should. Um... Uh, this film is on the IMDb Top 250. Uh, I have it at number 81. Yep, and that puts it between two movies that I, uh, I've i never seen, uh, Three Idiots and uh, Capernaum. I, uh, I don't know if you've heard of those. I've, I have heard of Three Idiots. Uh, Capernaum, I think, was just up for best uh, foreign film either this last year or the year before. I'm surprised that a film that is relatively unknown like that is as high as it is. But again, the IMDb, the IMDb 250, like our book, flawed in many ways. So, you know. Yeah, um, yeah we'll, uh, be, we'll be getting into that for sure. Yes. Uh, we haven't um, discussed a film in a while, uh, and we'll talk about it with the next one too, that has a perfect 100% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um and that's really that's what I have on the accolade front. Um, unless there's something else that you wanted to shout out. Yeah, I I would say that uh, the people at BAFTA, who I have a massive amount of respect for, that is, if we mentioned, that's the British version of the Academy Awards. They they definitely got it wrong that year. Uh, Toy Story was up for best visual effects, which it lost to Twister. You know that's it's so tough because I. I I can't, I, you know, can you really call what's happening in Toy Story visual effects? Because it's its own... I, I, I think so. If you approach the idea of visual effects being computer-generated images, then... Yes, yeah. I, it's, but it's a t it's a, I think it's a tough balancing act. And I think that's, that's why Toy Story is so groundbreaking, is because it, it flipped a switch in people's... Like, like, I remember seeing... I remember, I think it was on, like, the, Li the Lion King clamshell Disney thing. I remember... I remember being a kid and watching that 
and and Toy Story hadn't been released yet, but they had, they had done some of the promos, and it's the it's the part of the movie where Buzz and Woody are on RC, and he lights the rocket, and talking, you know, wait a minute, I just let a rocket, rockets explode, and like that's like the one clip they showed of it. And I remember my young, my like eight-year-old brain was like, what, what, what the, what? Like it didn't look like anything I had really seen before. And so I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think giving it to, to Twister is, you know, regrettable, you know, 25 years later. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I just, I, it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of, of what it was like to see this movie, like, but as an adult, like, wait, what is, what is this movie I'm seeing? Well, yeah, no, I, yeah, but. Giving that it got the the special achievement award at the Oscars and then it also got a special merit award at the PGA, I mean that's still, you know the it it did leave a mark on the industry, something that they were gonna have to reckon with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so here's like here's like the thirty second. Here's what happens in the movie. Uh, toys are alive. Woody is Andy's toy. He's his favorite toy. Um. And he sort of runs the room. It's Andy's birthday. They're getting ready to leave. And before they do, though, he gets gifted a Buzz Lightyear doll who is not aware that he is a toy, but soon becomes Andy's favorite uh, toy to play with. Um, uh, Woody gets jealous and in a fit of rage tries to knock him behind the desk, but instead knocks him out of the window. Woody goes to save them. They ultimately get picked up by Sid, who is a shitty next door kid who likes to destroy toys. After freaking him the fuck out, they escape and through a daring... RC car adventure and flying in the air, they make it back to Andy and they become friends. Now that's really shitty, but I, you know, I want to talk about the movie. So I just wanted to fly through it. Ian first impressions. Like what's like toy story. What do you think? Like as a kid seeing it for the first time or, Oh God, or whatever, 25 years later, whatever comes, whatever comes to your mind first. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. We mentioned seeing it for the first time. I, I wish that I had more memories of that first viewing because what I really remember is just the line around the block and then just being feeling creeped out by the quote-unquote cannibal toys in yeah. Sid's room. So, so looking at it now with a much more analytical mind is that you mentioned that it still doesn't look bad. But it's, it's funny to see the leaps and bounds. You know, when I watched them all all the toy stories in pretty quick succession and yep. i've spent the last month and a half kind of slowly going through the entire pixar back catalog for our episode next week um what what blows my mind is the even though they did have quite a lot of limitations is the attention to detail as far as just even andy's room is concerned you know the skirting boards and the bottoms of the doors have little scuff marks yes. and little little bits of wood little chips are missing uh, out of the bottom of the door, things like that. But it's also there. There is a tendency to where you could go too heavy-handed with that, and it's peppered in. It, there, there seems to be a lot of restraints with that, which I really respect. Is you could you could lay it on thick and do it in every frame, but it's not. It's kind of not. It's refreshing when you see it. Well, I I know for me when I when I first noticed what you're talking about exactly, which I really noticed in this viewing is when the army soldiers are trying to go down to the birthday party to relay back to the toys what he's getting. And because the, because the army soldiers are so small, when they're next to the floorboards, you can you can see those scuffs really well. But then there's then obviously there's the image of, of Andy's mom coming through the kitchen and, and it's a they pull to a wide. You you can't really see the detail from that wide shot. But when it's close up on them, you can. And it's the kind of thing that I mean, I, I will say 
I can say that like I I would never have noticed those kind of things in real life until I became a homo homeowner, and now it's like. Well, shit, look at all the little fucking scrapes on the, you know, like, but it's the kind of thing you don't normally give focus to. But when you're, when you get down on that level, you're like, oh shit, you can really see all the, the, the things that really in a way give your house character. Yeah. What's, what's also really important about that. You mentioned pulling back to a wide is one thing that I didn't really acknowledge in watching the movie, but as I'm doing research, they're talking about how the animators made a conscious decision, not just about making sure to distress the environments and, and doing that, as I said, not heavy-handedly, but they also made the decision to not use any camera moves, any shots, any angles that they couldn't have actually filmed in real life to make sure that they gave a legitimacy to this thing so that your eye wouldn't be drawn to, oh, that's a weird camera move, or that's over the top or whatever. They wanted it to feel as legitimate as possible, and I think that's I mean, that's a really smart move when you're doing the kind of groundbreaking work and taking the risks that they were taking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I totally agree. And I and I and also make sure that the film it makes sure that the film is timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, um, you know, there's not too many. And, we'll, and, you know, throughout most of the movies, there's nothing too specific that that puts us that dates the movies. Um, obviously, they talk about. In the second one, uh, which we'll wait, you know, but that he's kind of a 50s Western toy, um, you know, but um, one of the things that really cements this film of what it is, is when they're when they're driving the car towards the end and, and they're listening to the line, they're listening to Hakuna Matata in the car. It kind of it totally it places it in real time when that happens. But but I but I get what you're saying about a timeless feel for sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I didn't even catch uh, on the numerous times that I've seen it. That's something that you've illuminated. I had no idea they were listening to Hakuna Matata, I think because I'm so caught up in the chase. And the thing that really stands out to me about watching these films now, because I have such a love of noir and heist films. I mean, all four of us, all four of them are essentially heist films. I mean, there's a great moment in the third one where the phone is doing a like mission, Impo- mission impossible style, like, explaining of Woody just how tough it's going to be to break out of Sunnyside. I, yeah. I I love that moment so much. Oh, it's up there as one of my favorites of the entire saga. I mean, there's there you can tell that these guys have a genuine love. The, the guys who at Pixar, they have a genuine love and respect of a film, something that I'll bring up uh, a little bit more in the, uh, in the Pixar episode next week when we talk about all the different references and connective tissue between the films is uh, the references to The Shining. Uh, they're clearly very big Kubrick fans as, you know, there's references to 2001 throughout some of the other Pixar films as well, but even down to the detail of Sid's carpet in his house. I mean, we're kind of a little bit all over the place, but that's fine. Uh, the, the carpeting in Sid's house looks remarkably like the carpeting in The Overlook. Dude, this is this is what we do. We we watch these movies and we either respond positively or negatively to what we saw. And so we're we're in the first movie, and that's what we're doing. Um, I want to give a little. Uh, I I want to give some love to um the script because and not 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 the, not the storytelling. Although the storytelling is also great, and I want to talk about that in a second. But this movie is so fucking quotable, dude. I can't even. I can't even tell you. I I forget how hard I laugh when um, 
Potato Head turns around. He's like, look, I'm Picasso. And he's like, I don't get it. You uncultured swine. Yeah, what are you looking at, you hockey puck? And then he, the, the camera moves, and there's just a hockey puck there doing the like, what do you, what do you, what do you got against me, man? I'm just, I'm just a hockey puck. And again, that as I mentioned with with casting the people that they did, that shows such a great reverence for those kind of quick witted, one liner comedians. I mean, they they cast Don Rickles for a reason. Yeah, and like, and then there's the jokes that I know that I didn't get when I was a kid that are so much that funnier now. There's a line. Um, where like I think Buzz Buzz is like he's just come out of the box and they're talking, and he's like the word I think you're searching for is space rangers. Like the word I'm searching for, I can't say because there are preschool toys present. Like it's just so, I don't know, man. I this movie just fucking makes me smile. And even you know when it gets sort of in its more serious moments or whatever. Like this movie, it's I don't know. Like I. I don't watch this movie as much as like Back to the Future, which I just have like a soft spot for, but it makes me feel the same way. You know what I mean? Like it was hard. It, like obviously we're doing this for the podcast and I'm, and I'm diligent. And I'm taking my notes, but like it's the kind of thing where I realized I could just stop taking notes and like fold laundry or empty the dishwasher and just hear it because, because this movie in particular of the three has just embedded itself in my DNA and I just know it. I just know the movie. Well, before we get there, I had that problem with three. I was yeah. there were like long stretches where I was like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be taking notes on this thing. <laughs> and that's because of of the four of them, uh, Toy Story Three is the the one is the only one of them that I've seen only once before. Uh, it's it's the one that was least sort of fresh in my mind. I, I saw it once on DVD after it had been in theaters, and then that was it. Dis- kind of, di- I was a little bit dismissive of it, which we'll, we'll get to when we when we get to that. I mean, we're... yeah, no structure to this thing whatsoever. Fuck uh, it. Whatever, <laughs> fuck it. Um, now, now you're you're giving a lot of praise to the script, which you should do. But do you feel the strength of this film is more in the script or these voice actors? Um, you know, it's 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 tough because I don't know how much. Let, you know, let's just say Tim Allen and Tom Hanks got to kind of riff on it or how much because because you're doing voice acting and because they need you to be specific with with, with the with the words so they can match it to the, to the animation and, and how that, you know, how those have to work in tandem. Um, it, that's that's tough. But don't get me wrong, like. Every every single. Character in the movie is given a chance to to shine and to show what they can do, you know? And I mean, like, I'm not a big Jim Varney, Ernest fan, but, like, the quality of his voice as Slinky Dog versus, you know, say, the quality of Wallace Shawn's voice as Rex. And, like, there's something about Jim Varney's voice it's it's pleasant and it's decent and you can you can totally get just from the voice not not slinky dog and not the words but from the voice that oh yeah you could see how that would be woody's right hand man versus versus wallace sean's voice as rex where it's like you can get why he has the line is like well i'm trying to be fearsome but i feel like i'm just coming off as annoying and wallace sean has that quality to his voice and it's so hard to know like who like if anything was written for specific people or if they I mean I had that as a note too like like pitch perfect casting like and and how much credit goes to like how much credit goes to casting you know or or oh absolutely yeah it's just it's 
I don't know, man. I don't think you can have one without the other. I think the actors elevate the script, but I think the script is also really solid. I I think casting is my unsung hero of the first one specifically. I mean that it's a hell of a good choice. Hell yeah. of a good choice. I uh and and while we're on Jim Varney, I think this is yeah, probably the best thing he's ever done. Uh, I that's probably a safe thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um it it amazed me looking at the list of people that turned this thing down, especially for Buzz. I mean, could you imagine Jim Carrey doing Buzz? I guess they went after him pretty hard. I mean, it it makes sense for especially where Jim Carrey was in his career, coming off one of the most epic. I mean, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and The Mask all released theatrically in 1994. Not surprised at all to hear that they went after him, but. Again, and it's it's hard to, like, especially anybody young at, like, it's hard to know, like, who's all going to listen to this, but Home Improvement was so big at the time. I mean, I, I remember it was a part of the my, my, my regular watch cycle when I was a kid. I watched Home Improvement. And the this idea of going after sort of, even though he's kind of, he plays a goofball in the show, but like the man's man as Buzz. Like, I get that. Like, it makes sense to me. And sure, they, maybe they could have gone after somebody, uh, um, a film actor who had that same persona, but you also have to bring, you know, a sense of comedy to it as well. And I think, you know, as much as I probably agree politically different from Tim Allen, I think what he brings to Buzz is is perfect and it's like it's i i think i think the idea of who they went after is interesting but now it's like the, again again because of the history because of how successful this movie is and because of how many films they've done i i cannot imagine any like the idea of jim carrey seems so like bananas to me maybe not at the time but like now i i just can't even i couldn't consider it <laughs> well let's let's run down the list let's real do quick, it because I, I i agree with you i i there's something about Tim Allen that is so utterly charming in this role. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're in it. You're in his character, his believability, uh, that, that voice coming out of that character. I mean, you're just, you're taken with it, or at least I am immediately. Um, Billy Crystal, he obviously, he learned his lesson cause he would pop up as, as Mike Wazowski in the monsters movies. Hell yeah. Uh, Bill, Bill Murray turned it down, which Bill Murray, I could see that one. I'd be okay with. Yeah. Okay, I want you to keep going through them. I want you to keep going through them. Uh, Chevy Chase turned it down, which I I still can't wrap my mind around what makes Chevy Chase funny. I I don't get it. I I, do not get it. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. Uh, Bruce Willis was considered, you know, going the more action star route, which again, I think it's, you would, yeah, you would consider those kinds of guys. You would pursue them. The one, now this is not going to be a popular opinion, but the one that I could also see nailing it, uh, just because of, I think how well he did when he would voice, do a voice in chicken run a few years later is Mel Gibson. Yeah. And I I, I was thinking Gibson and, and Bruce Willis as, as those potential voice things. But I think the, there's one particular moment that I think works so well that I I don't know if like I don't know if a Gibson or a Bruce Willis could hit it the way that I think he does. But there, it's the moment after Buzz has his epiphany that he is a toy. He sees the commercial, not a flying toy, and he's like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna jump." And we, you know, I, you know, I will go sailing no more. And he lands and stuff. But we get the moment 
when when the um what's the sister's name hannah uh puts him in her room and she's she's making him play with the, t- the dolls and woody comes in and this Buzz- is liz's this is liz's favorite moment of all four movies oh my god it's so miss- funny the mrs the mrs nesbitt stuff it's like don't you get it i am mrs nesbitt and then he has that like crazy maniacal laugh and i don't think any of those people that you just listed could like could do that it, it, it just and it's also so he's you know he's been buzz lightyear this whole time and then he, he gets to have this freak out moment and it stands out and that's why it's so funny because we haven't we haven't seen buzz act that way and it's it's just great it's so great you do you do need a certain amount of silliness that i think the only other person that could get even close in that list would be bill murray yeah, I, there's there's a there's a there's a weight to that silliness. Yeah, it's not just full bore. It's not just full bore balls to the wall. Jim Carrey. It's still got a weight to it. Well, and it's so it's so funny. I think, but I also think I think Bill Murray's so dry that um, his voice works better. Even though I don't think these movies are good, but his voice works better as Garfield because Garfield's such a leth- like a lethargic dude. I'm just gonna go at my own pace. You can't bother me. And Bill Murray has that like. Bill Murray, not in a bad way. I feel like just can't be bothered. You can't, you can't, you can't bother Bill Murray. He's just gonna do his Bill Murray thing, and that's his voice as Garfield. I think is is perfect. I, I don't know how well it works as is Buzz, which is yeah, just is so probably interesting. probably a little probably a little late in Bill Murray's career because I think you want that late eighties Scrooged Peter Venkman style Bill Murray for it if that's the route you're gonna go. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, but but I don't know. I I. Mel, when I saw Mel Gibson, that that really stuck with me. Yeah, like, I, man, that, I, yeah. that's that's a missed opportunity right there. I mean, he was too uh, busy was, too busy doing Braveheart. Uh, that's it was a tall order that film. Uh, oh, as far as uh, as far as people that turned down Woody, um, I've I've only found two, and both of these I think are are interesting choices as well. Paul Newman turned it down. Obviously, he would learn his lesson because he would go on to voice Doc Hudson in Cars. But uh, and I have to imagine that this is one of the biggest regrets of his career. You know, I don't want to speak for him. Uh, Steve Gutenberg turned it down. Uh, you know, the only thing that I know for sure that he really did like around or after this time is the. Uh, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movie It Takes Two with Kirstie Alley. Um, I I have seen that. Yeah. Uh, other than that, though, man, I, I yeah, that's that's got to be a huge bummer for him. Yeah, Gutenberg is one of those careers. It's it's like the career that wasn't. I don't know if you've seen any of the Police Academies. I have or, not. Yeah, I mean they're not good. He the thing about him is I I love Diner. And I think he's particularly good in that. And I'm like, man, the promise that you showed in that movie was was never realized. Yeah. And, and like I said, I have to imagine that this would have completely changed his career. And I got to think, sitting wherever he is sitting now, going, man, I, 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 if I was him, I would still be saying to myself, fuck, I wish I'd done Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. I oh, I, how could you not? How could you not? Um, I, I have a, I have a question for you. Um, so. There's a moment towards the uh, towards kind of towards the end where where uh, Sid is getting ready to uh, send the rocket up, and Woody is basically planning with the uh, the toys that have been you know demolished and put back together uh, to, to to help Buzz, and Woody says it means breaking a few rules. So we ha- we have that, 
And then we also have the fact that Buzz is not aware that he is a toy until he sees the commercial. So what do you make of that? Like, what do we make of Buzz not knowing that he's a toy? What What are these rules? Are these rules, like, ingrained? Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't expect you to have all the answers, but it's like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's, that's interesting. Well, well, throughout, I mean, we wouldn't have, the movies wouldn't be what they are if they weren't able to, quote unquote, break the rules and interact with the real world and make real world changes that impact the the people yes. the the humans in the world right but i i'm struggling to remember even though i just i just did all four of them a few days ago i'm struggling to remember another incident where they directly interact with a human other than when he says to sit at the end so play nice yeah i don't is there ever another time where they directly address a person like obviously in four trixie is speaking through the gps to screw up the rv and yeah. send them back to the fairground but she's not really talking directly to them yeah uh i think the answer is no i don't think that that happens i mean the only the closest we get is woody's interaction with buster the dog but that's it which is another thing well i i have a lot of problems with two we'll we'll address those when we when we're done talking about one gotcha but yeah i'm the the sid moment i Watching it this time around, I was like, man, I really, I really like that moment. I mean, we've talked about this, a thing that we love uh, about the movie Gremlins is setting up a world in which these rules exist, and then the fun of the movie is breaking those rules. Yeah. And Toy Story does a lot of things similar, but the rules are never really laid out to us specifically. I mean, we're not in the know as far as really how it works we're just thrown into the world this is what it is these are the situations the toys are in and we just kind of go with it yeah um i don't really know what point i'm making what, I, what i'm trying to get to is that i don't think i think one of the things that lets the saga down as a whole is there's not enough of those moments like the woody and sid moment i would i would like to see them would have liked to have seen them get themselves into a little bit more danger in the sense that, oh, now we've done something that could literally break the world. But I don't know if maybe that's, is that too much for an animated film of this type? Well, it's hard, it's hard to know what, you know, what story you're trying to tell, you know, if that, how important that is. Um, and that, and it doesn't bother me so much. Like, and that, that's me, you know, asking this thing about, you know, how does Buzz not know he's a toy and what are the what are the rules in which you you are a toy? You know, that doesn't really, you know, it doesn't like, you know, get me upset or anything. I just it's one of those things where, you know, Buzz comes out and he doesn't know he's a toy and it, eventually he does. And, and that's fine. It doesn't like it's like I said, we we move on. Buzz ultimately learns that he is a toy. And that's that's great. You know, they become they become friends. And that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm trying to decide what direction I want to go. I don't know. We tackled a really big issue there, and now I now I feel like I've I can't go bigger. <laughs> well, then let's let's not go bigger, and let's 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 bring it let's bring it let's bring it down a little bit. I well I was on I was on something of a negative path there okay. as far as talking about some things that I didn't or something that I didn't enjoy about the film like conceptually. Um, let's just deal with Randy Newman right now. <laughs> this is not going to be a popular opinion. I understand how important you've got a friend in me is. 
uh, I think he is the weakest link in the entire saga, and I don't know that it's his fault. Uh, doing doing the reading, Disney obviously they love musicals. That's yep. their bread and butter. They want the music. They want those big numbers. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, ass- I'm assuming it has something to do with selling records too, but whatever. I, and they did want Toy Story to be a musical, mm-hmm. to which Disney, to which Pixar said, no, we don't want to do that. So they kind of met each other in the middle where they did these non, uh, what's the word, non-di- non-diegetic songs, which yeah. kind of, they they explain the plots. They, they really do the same thing that bad narration does, and it just explains what you're seeing. And that's you mentioned the, the 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 great moment and probably one of the best moments in the movie is where Buzz realizes oh I'm a toy he says screw it I can be which is one of the great sort of lessons in the movie is that you can be bigger than what the world has told you that you can be yeah uh, a great lesson that's in there um, but but Randy Newman's song just steps all over it as yeah. as his songs do throughout the course of all four films that he really just He's one of these songwriters that uses a sledgehammer to kill a fly, and his voice is fucking awful. Well, and that's okay. So yeah, his his voice is definitely you know it's. I don't you know he, I'm he not makes Bob fa- Dylan. He makes Bob Dylan sound like he's got the voice of a fucking angel. Well, I, I and I get that he's he's more of a singer songwriter in terms of like listen to the lyrics of my songs, and I and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a big Randy Newman fan. I'm also not a. You know, I'm also not a deterrent of his, so I don't, I don't really, I don't really care. Um, I agree with you on the song over Woody's moment or um, over Buzz's moment and and realizing that he's a toy. I remember that moment probably having more of an impact on me when I was younger. And watching it again, I didn't feel nearly as bad when Buzz lands. I mean, if still obviously from Buzz's point of view, it's terrible, but yeah, that was it. Didn't have that connection versus what I think is a, a great moment to help help us go through a passage of time is the strange things moment when um Andy is quickly going through like we see him changing he's not wearing the western shit anymore he's wearing the space stuff and we see the room change and we see Buzz getting chummy with all the other toys I like that moment and I I like the song over that moment but I I agree with you well that that's that's a montage that's that's excusable yeah. you need to show the passage of time you expect there to be some music if there's some lyrics over the top it, it it's not as impactful as the buzz trying to fly moment, you know, cause there's that, there's that great moment where he's, he, he's like, no, he has the determination. And then Randy Newman over the top says, no, I won't let the, whatever the lyrics are, yeah. I won't let this happen. I can fly like a bird. And he climbs up and there's that, I think one of the most beautiful shots again in the whole saga is him in silhouette from the back on top of the railing looking out the window again that idea of no i can be bigger than the world tells me i can be it's just oh man it's so deflating yeah that that randy newman stuff man and again like i said i don't know that it's necessarily i can't put all the blame on him because i know that there was that sort of demand from disney to like you guys need to put some songs in this well and i think a lesson a lesson they clearly learned as they went through the movies i mean it becomes a thing where his songs only really get played over the credits at the end yeah i will and i will say i mean i i get it i know the love and respect and how important you've got a friend in me is to the entire series but after doing all four of them in fairly close succession i gotta say i was pretty sick of that song well, yes. I mean, we did. Yeah, we did the same thing. We watched them all pretty much back to back. And yeah, I mean, 
there's only so many times you can listen, I think, to any song before it's like, okay, Jesus Christ, please, yeah, leave me alone. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. I will say it is in three. It's pretty refreshing that Gypsy King's Spanish cover of it. Yeah, that that's fun. That is fun. Um, I, I don't. I, I there's there's two more things I want to say about one that I I can live because there's so many things I could talk about, but there's two more things I I have to mention. So, um, is there anything that where where are you on your Toy Story one notes? Well, again, I talked about the casting being the unsung hero of the first one, but I uh, the the script we talked about this whether the script was more powerful and impactful than the voice acting itself, and I I mean I asked you that not really having an answer myself, but I I think I'm gonna lean more into I think the script there is so much in it that makes it. I, I think it was a very smart decision for them to go, no, if we're making this big groundbreaking piece of animation that's never been done before, we need to make sure that we're hitting every single base. We need to not only get that the 5 to 12-year-olds, we need to make sure that we're hitting something that's going to resonate with, you know, people in their 20s, their 30s, so on and so forth. They're just the list of little moments that make you chuckle as an adult, I think, is the thing that has crafted... Pixar's legacy. I mean, the right at the beginning with Potato Head doing the whole kiss ass thing where he takes his lips off and he starts slapping them against the back of the potato. That is, I don't know, man. That is genuinely one of the funniest things. Still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. There's one thing that I, I really loved about how nuanced Woody's character is and still kind of resonates about it. It's still. I, I think there's enough of a jerk still left in Woody's character. I do genuinely think that that Woody is still one of their most nuanced characters. I love the the way that he corrals and controls the room and he set up these like town halls and things like that. Something that would, would go over a kid's head and talking about how, you know, that was a great job last week at the plastic oh, yeah. corrosion. Tuesday night's meeting. plastic corrosion awareness meeting. Was, yeah, yeah. Like, I think a, a big success, and I think we yeah. all owe a hand to Mr. Spell. Thank you, Mr. Spell. There you go, man. Oh man, you've got you got the quotes down. I'm struggling here, but you got the quotes, man. I'm glad you got my back on that. No worries, no worries. Oh God, the, the there's a there's a moment that I did find to be kind of dark. That kind of like took me aback. I sat back and I went, "Whoa, that's a little." It's after he's pushed Buzz out the window. Not only is there another great reference to another movie there, you hear a little bit of Indiana Jones on the soundtrack when he's running away from oh, the from running the, globe. But, yep. Yeah, but the uh, the ed, uh, potato head making the etch-a-sketch etch-a-noose for Woody. I'm like, oh shit, man, that's a little that's a little heavy. <laughs> We're gonna string this toy, and they they actually talk about stringing him up by his pull string. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it's all man. It's so great. It's hitting all. Just sitting here talking about it. It's hitting all those little nostalgic, scratching all those nostalgic itches. Oh, big time. There's a moment that I, I wait for every time in the movie, and it's early on, and it makes me laugh so hard. It's the the first night that Woody ends up in the toy chest, and he wakes up the next morning, and he's like, I can't breathe. It's like, hey, where's my hat? And then the shark pops up. He's like, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Ah, ha, ah, ha, ha. Give me that. I Seriously, when the shark pops up with the, with the hat on and does the I'm Woody thing, I, I'm in tears every single time. I think that's so goddamn funny. Oh, the last little adult reference I'll bring up before you you hit your your points is the the hooker in the um, in Sid's room. Like all the cannibal toys, all the different 
you know amalgamations of toys that he's torn apart and put back together uh there's the the fishing rod with the i'm assuming barbie legs yeah so it, it's i they have a specific name for it but liz and i looked at each other on this go around and we're like hooker yeah <laughs> well that's part of what i want to talk about is sid i mean that's that's one of the things i want to say is like where the fuck are sid's parents like what is like i i think obviously sid sid is the is the villain of the movie in a way the way he treat from the toys' point of view and what he does he's the villain but my well, god as far as uh, as far as antagonists go like pixar still had a quite a long way to go i think sid is a fairly flat one-dimensional villain well yes yes and like now as a parent i'm watching this and it's like he has like eight locks on his doors his parents are allowing him to buy explosives which by the way did you see that the brand of fireworks he ordered was that something that you caught no hit me with it ill eagle i-l-l space eagle oh my isn't that great illegal that's 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 really good um but just gotta love yourself a good pun exactly exactly there's just so like the way the way in which he's allowed to treat his toys the way in which he he's allowed to get away with with basically everything and like clearly bad parents at one point you see that i think the dad is passed out watching bowling that's where bus sees the commercial we hear the mom scream up sid you got pop tarts ready for breakfast, and I'm sitting here going, "Pop tarts aren't breakfast. You like that's terrible. That's like that's like pretend. That's like dessert breakfast. Like don't no. I ultimately, in like <laughs> seeing it from a different perspective, I feel bad for Sid. Like I, I, he shouldn't be fucking up his toys, but I, I really feel bad for him. And so when they scare him at the end, I'm like, this kid is gonna need therapy for a long fucking time. See with the the endless sequels that Pixar are, are are doing, that's that's the sequel we need. Is you know where is Sid now? <laughs> I'd love I'd love a fifteen minute short on Sid Phillips today, like some sad fat. Well, he is he is the garbage man gonna, in three. Yeah. So that sad fat garbage man still having nightmares about toys. Yeah. Oh God. Um. I don't oh, know. Oh god! As far as references go, I forgot about the god. All the alien references in uh, in Pizza Planet. Yep. There's yep. the whole whack an alien like the chest burster yep. thing, like the one the the aliens dispensing sludge, the sludge soda. That's yeah. very clearly a xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this, there's there's too much to talk about when it comes to the first Toy Story, which uh, is probably why we should move on to two, unless you've got anything else you want to say about one. No, could, couldn't agree anymore. Um, but so, really quickly, do you have a favorite? I mean, I mentioned that the shot of Buzz on the railing as a great shot. Do you have a favorite shot from one? Um, I, I honestly think... I don't know if there's too much emotion attached to the, to the shot that I'm going to say, but I can't help it. It is when they detach from the rocket and he swoops back up. I I oh, have what I would call a, we're major... not aiming for the truck. Yeah. yeah. There's a major, I, I mean, I do like the shot though too. I, I do, but each movie has for me a major emotional moment. And usually they, they're, they're mostly associated with crying. However, in the first movie, my major emotional moment is that moment. And I've seen this movie 20, 25 times, and I still, the hairs on my, on my arm stand up when 
they, they get up there and Buzz finally goes, this isn't flying. This is falling with style. And I'm like, oh, he gets it now. He's got it. He Buzz yeah. knows who he is now. And oh, it's just so good. And the way you watch him evolve over all four based on that one moment is, I mean, he is such a, his character arc is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. There's a detail in that sequence that I love. The sound design is working overtime during that. And the sound of Woody's lips, his cheeks flapping during, <laughs> oh God, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, really quickly before we move on to two, another great camera move is that. It's, it's legendary in my mind when I think about the pantheon of Pixar. That first pan up to Buzz on the bed from the oh, sort yeah. of POV, Woody's POV. Yeah. That's stunning. Buzz, wait, wait. Buddy, where are you going? You're right, Prospector. I can't stop Andy from growing up. But I wouldn't miss it for the world. No. Buzz. Yes. Yes. I'm coming with you. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I'll be back in just a second. Way to go, cowboy. Hey, you guys. Come with me. What? Andy will play with all of us. I know it. Woody, I, I, I don't know. I... Wouldn't you give anything just to have one more day with Emily? Come on, Jesse. This is what it's all about. To make a child happy. And you know it. Bullseye, are you with me? <laughs> okay. Good boy. Prospector, how about you? You're out of your box. I tried reasoning with you, Woody. Oh you man! All right. So moving on to Toy Story Two, just quickly uh, uh, as we before we we get into the the talking about it specifically, John Lasseter also directed Toy Story Two. The credited screenwriters include Andrew Stanton again, and this time joining him was uh, Doug Chamberlain, Rita Hisao. I don't know how to say that. I very I apologize very much. And Chris Webb. Newcomers voice-wise, um, we have Joan Cusack as Jesse, Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete, Estelle Harris coming in as Mrs. Potato Head, Wayne Knight as Al, who I didn't realize had a last name of Mick Wigan, which is just phenomenal. And then some of the other ones, we have Jody Benson, who plays tour guide Barbie, Jonathan Harris as the cleaner, who you might also recognize from uh, Jerry's Game, which is a great um, uh, Pixar short. Um... Joe Ramped as Wheezy. Jeff Pigeons plays the uh, the alien voices. And Andrew Stanton, actually, uh, I have him here as Evil Emperor Zerg. Yeah, and Lassiter and uh, Uncridge, they also make cameos as well as the two Rock'em Sock'em robots in Al's office. That's great. Um, so, uh, and, and again, I, I, there's so much to talk about, so we'll just say that this, this came out four years later in 1999. Um, uh, it, it was nominated for... Um, Best Song at the Oscars, actually won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy, which I thought was really interesting. Um, this movie also has a perfect 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is not on the IMDb 250. Anything here in Statland that you want to bring up? There's definitely a lot less to talk about as far as stats and, and accolades go for the second one. The one that is frustrating to me is losing song. Uh, at the Oscars to You'll Be In My Heart, another uh, Disney film, Tarzan, the Phil Collins song. Uh, because as much shit as I did talk about Randy Newman just uh, a few moments ago, uh, the the song in the second one, I think is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Jesse's backstory, When She Loved Me. I mean, that is genuinely quite good. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other shitty thing about 
Tarzan winning that year. Is there not only is this song um, when, when somebody loved me so good in this, but we're also talking about Blame Canada and Save Me by Amy Mann from Magnolia. I I I think that was a clear like we love Disney. Let's just give it to to Disney kind of thing. Um, the the song in Tarzan isn't bad, but it is. And I think best song at the Oscars, honestly, like is is kind of a joke category anyway. That's my opinion. But um, I they just straight up got it wrong. They had they had three better choices. Oh, absolutely! Blame Canada is spectacular. <laughs> it's so great. Holy shit, that would have been great. <laughs> and of course, Amy Amy Mann's. I mean, we've talked about this at length before, but Amy Mann's "Save Me." That moment. If if ever if ever a mo if ever a movie deserved to just break out into song like Magnolia goes the distance and earns that moment. Well, remember they're singing "Wise Up" in the movie. Yeah, but "Save Me" is the song that was nominated. Oh yeah, sorry, excuse me, but "Save Me" is still. Uh, oh. I mean, they're both great songs. Either, yeah, nominating either one of those. Amy Mann fantastic. did the whole soundtrack, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, as far as "You'll Be in My Heart," I mean, that's just Phil Collins doing what he's always done. Yeah, agree, agree. Um, okay, so really quickly, here we go. It's it's years uh, well, it's years later for us, but it's not too many years later for the family. Um, Andy has all his toys; they've moved. Um, basically, what happened is Andy is going to cowboy camp, but before he goes, Woody's arm gets fallen off, uh, gets ripped off, and Andy's mom places him on the top shelf. Uh, Woody discovers Wheezy, who is an old uh, squeaky penguin toy. Uh, while Andy's gone. His mom tries to clean out his room. They're having a garage sale, which, of course, freaks the toys out. Wheezy gets taken downstairs. Woody goes on a mission to save him, but in doing so, falls behind. And Al witnesses or finds that this he, he sees Woody, which is the last toy he needs for the Roundup gang. He steals Woody. Woody meets Jesse and Pete and Bullseye and realizes that he is a part of this much-beloved but short-lived Woody's Roundup. And uh, with him gone... Buzz uh, leads Rex and Ham and Slinky Dog on this rescue mission to get him. In doing so, Woody is now put in this predicament of, well, do I go back to my owner because I still have one? Or do I help keep this gang together? Because we realize is that Stinky Pete and uh, Jesse and uh, Bullseye have been in storage for quite a long time. So uh, Woody is going through this sort of dilemma. Then he realizes that, you know what? I'm going to go with them. I'm going to help out these guys. Uh, and in doing so, um, kind of lets down Buzz and everybody else when they sort of come to rescue him. But ultimately, Woody's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to go. And in fact, you're all going to come with me. Andy will love you. But we find out that Stinky Pete has been kind of a dick the whole time. And uh, there's a, a, a kind of a, a showdown that happens at the airport where they're trying to um, save, uh, get, get away from Stinky Pete, which they do. Um, and Jesse and Bullseye end up joining Woody and Buzz uh, when Andy comes home from cowboy camp. Okay. Again, I gloss over a lot of shit, but that's, that's what we do. Cause I mean, that's, that's solid. That's, you know, that's enough. Thank you. Um, okay. So again, for just f your immediate reaction when I say, what's the first thing you think of when you think of toy story two. So this is where some people are going to drop out. I, I know that Toy Story 2 is really well loved and respected amongst the diehard Pixar Toy Story fans, and it seems like fans in general. We should mention, this film also has the perfect 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 
that boggles my mind, man. I feel like this movie was given a pass. I feel like this film was just riding on the coattails of the good feelings created by the first one. I don't think Toy Story 2 is that great. You know, it was... I. I it's it's tough because I know before the fourth one came out and, and living in the afterglow of the third one, it's it's not even to me, it's not even a real question of which one was the weakest. It's 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 Toy Story Two. That, that that's where I was after the third one. And then we we watched it again, and it's so tough because as much as I have, you know, not playing my hand here immediately, but as much as I have some thoughts about two and four that aren't necessarily positive, it's I, I like all the things that we kind of learn about toys and their life as we go through two. Like obviously we the toys are freaked out uh in the first movie when it's his birthday and when it's Christmas. And then the idea of a yard sale, like, oh my god, like, oh, we get we get why they're apprehensive, why they're freaking out, you know, and because they might lose one of their one of their friends. Um and and I think there's a lot of the stuff, there's a lot of, like, the lingo, like, the idea of getting shelved, right? Like, I think what, two expands the world, obviously, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. And, and there's, there's, I have more questions. I, I, there, I had a lot of questions in this one about what it is to be a toy, because, I, I think that we get that they can feel things, you know, like when um in the first one where Sid is burning a hole in Woody's forehead with the magnifying glass and then Sid leaves and then Woody has to dunk his head into the milk to help sort of with the burn, right? Okay, cool. So toys can feel things and that happens in this one too, but can they smell? Can they taste things? Because there's the moment where Woody is trying to escape when Al falls asleep and he's right by Al's face when he burps and he's and like Woody has this like, Oh reaction, but it's like, okay, so you, wait, you can smell. And then bullseye is licking the, che the, the, the Cheeto fingers. And I'm thinking, wait, you can, you can taste. And again, that's maybe it's really stupid and like really nitpicky, but I, my, I had way more questions than answers. And it, it was harder for me to, to kind of get past that in this one, which I know is, is petty, but that that's where a lot of my hangups were. Well, that's, that's, I have, I have a lot of hangups regarding that as well. The thing there's an, there's an interesting sort of juxtaposition about this third one in the sense that it reaches for some pretty lofty goals and ideas as far as, like you said, what it means to be a toy, this idea of being a collectible, versus being something that a child can play with. And I know that was very much on Lasseter's mind when they wrote it, because he is an avid collector of toys, and he, he's got, I think at the time at least, had five children, and they would come into his office, and they would want to play with these collectibles. And he was like, no, 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 that's worth money. But the whole, this this toy wasn't made to be a, necessarily a collectible. It wasn't made to be put on a shelf. It was made to be played with. So that's... That's some really interesting stuff. The problem with these loftier ideas that it reaches for is that it is besieged by moments like what you just talked about with the going for the easy laughs and the easy gags of the belch in the face. Or um, Ham, when they're, when they're 
doing their rescue mission. They're, you know, out in the world. They're in the city trying to get to Al's toy barn to try and rescue Woody is the, the cork popping out of ham and all the money spilling anywhere. Yeah. And he like quickly hides himself. Like he's revealed, you know, genitals or something. Yeah. yeah. I, it what's, what's, uh, what's revealing to me is doing the research about this one is a lot of the problems that I have with this movie start to make sense when you read about how it was made and just how contentious things were getting in the relationship between Disney and Pixar. Um, so by, by this point, to, to give a little background, uh, they had almost doubled their staff, but at the time, all 300 or so of those people were working on A Bug's Life. But Disney desperately wanted a sequel to to Toy Story, and they had recently had a lot of success with uh, direct-to-video sequels like Lion King 1.5 and, and Return of Jafar. Uh, I don't remember if... I think Hunchback 2 either came out around the same time or just before, but they had contracted uh, this other company, Circle 7, uh, to do the animation on this thing, um, and they had come up with... Uh, with with a few interesting ideas, but a lot of that ended up being jettisoned as the script was like completely rewritten once Lassiter had finished overseeing and and promoting Bugs Life and coming back, and uh, they ended up recycling a lot of things that they weren't able to do in the first story. Like the Al Al character was actually in the first script; he was jettisoned. There's a whole thing the the Wheezy character they brought him back. Yeah. He, he was supposed to be in the first one. They couldn't uh, they couldn't make it work with. Um, the dust, which is actually, I think, the most impressive thing uh, about Toy Story 2 is a throwaway detail that nobody uh, nobody in animation had ever done the level of detail uh, that they were able to pull off. Uh, they created something like two million individual dust particles, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel bad for the person that had to animate or the team that had to animate, you know, every single piece of dust. Uh but yeah, there was all kinds of, of trouble behind the scenes and them overworking their employees. The editorial staff were working something like 36-hour days. Uh, I read this one report of uh, this guy that had his kid in the back seat. He was supposed to drop the kid off at daycare and was so exhausted from the work days that they just drove straight to Pixar and left the kid in the car all day. And it was at that point where they were like, oh, God, maybe we need to like throttle back on this thing. Uh because at that point they had moved from this direct-to-video idea to going, no, 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 we don't, we want, we want to do something bigger. There were all kinds of like contracts, renegotiations. It was just, it was a fucking mess there at the time. And unfortunately, I, I think that, I think that shows in the movie. It's kind of the Alien Three of the Pixar canon. Yeah, I... and as, as to where a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff impacted what you see on screen, and I think the behind-the-scenes details are actually more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah, I mean, and it's tough because, you know, all, all of that is true. All of the behind the scenes stuff and that this, I, I think, I think a lot of what they're trying to say in this one gets told better in the third one. But I, I have a, I have a, I don't know that this is the best moment, but I mean, is Jesse's backstory possibly the most impactful moment of the anthology? It is, and I... Well, I don't know about the anthology of this movie specifically. For yes. sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no, I mean, there's a there's a moment in three that we'll talk about at length, which is probably the most impactful. Sure, 
but yeah, I in terms of, in terms of what I, I guess I'm just calling out my my major emotional moment. I mean, it's 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 this it's it's her backstory for sure. But I also I'm also conflicted about I I love that moment, but I I think it comes in the wrong place because I think there's so much momentum at that point as far as the the A and B stories. One the the A story being Woody. And this dilemma that he's put in versus the other toys who are on their rescue mission to find him. It just, something about it, and again, this could be nitpicky, but, well, it is nitpicky, but <laughs> it just, it stops the movie for me. And, and it's, which is a weird thing to say because it's such an important emotional moment. Honestly, I think it should come, I think it should come later. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know how it, I don't know how it can because I think it's, it's hearing that that convinces him to to not leave that i know i'm i'm grasping at straws well, well no this, i mean but I, it's just it, there's there's something about the pacing of this one which doesn't work for me it's only 10 minutes longer but you definitely feel that it's 10 minutes longer yeah i i, I agree i mean we spend a lot of time you know i there's a and I don't know how you cut it, but there's a lot of Woody reveling in his nostalgia. Woody seeing what what his not his life, but the 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 culture that culture of Woody's Roundup and what it, what it was back in the fifties. That goes on a bit too long, and it's funny you mentioned kind of going for the cheap jokes because um, this is easily the movie that Sophie laughed at the most. She's she's my youngest. She's three. And obviously, she's not going to get a lot of the the wordplay. She's not going to get why certain lines are funny. But there was a lot of like physical comedy in this one that she laughed at so much when, um, when the cones when they're walking with the cones um across the road and every, there's all the chaos going on. She was laughing in particular. I don't know why. Uh, Woody going around on the record player with uh, like Jesse and with Bullseye. She she thought it was fucking hysterical. And and so I I think this one was aimed way more for a younger audience. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, there's some of that when I say say quote unquote cheap laughs. I mean, I still love the cone stuff. And I and yeah, there's and I I do too. I I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing, but I I think this became way more about um the, I, you know, it's 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 these aren't real people. The physical comedy, the 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 sight gags, I think were were more in this one. Obviously, Jesse's backstory aside, I think I think it's full of, you know, those kind of moments. Yeah, I think I I sort of put it down to these are the growing pains when it comes to to Pixar. I and I that's why the hundred percent fresh just boggles my mind is. This is this is a company kind of learning. They st- okay, they struck it big. They had a massive success with Toy Story. I mean, bigger than anybody ever thought it was going to be. And this is very much them learning about okay, now that we have all that success, what do we do with it? For sure, yeah. And I think and I think a toy a sequel to Toy Story came too quickly. And that is definitely that's not so much on Pixar. That's that's on Disney. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, you you mentioned that the Rotten Tomato score again, and I I just think part of me just wonders. You know, it's again, it's hard to remember what, what it was like when this came out at the time, but I also, you know, I'm there's certain things that I'm complaining about for sure, but it's also, it's still such an enjoyable movie, and I think adding um, Joan Cusack and Kelsey Grammer and Wayne Knight 
um, as the, their specific roles. It like, and I think that's what one of the great things about these movies is like, and we'll talk about it within three and in four of who they find to come in to lend their voice talents to the movies because, you know, I I Kelsey Grammer's voice is great and Wayne Knight is so recognizable, but Joan Cusack as Jesse is wonderful. I fucking love it. And she is she is hands down the best part of two. Yeah, like no questions for me. With Kelsey Grammer as a really close runner up. Yeah, and I, I'm frankly I'm a little disappointed that they didn't find a way to bring him back. Oh, that would have been interesting. I do because obviously Lotso is the Kelsey Grammer character in in three, and yeah. then Gabby Gabby is the is that character in in four. But it would have been. I think it would. I think uh, a sort of prospect, a Stinky Pete's revenge, would be <laughs> an interesting way to go. If if they have to do a fifth one, which I know they're talking about, which it, I think is a frankly a bad idea. I think this whole Buzz Lightyear prequel is a bad idea. It's I I don't want to get into it too much, but it seems so convoluted. It seems unnecessarily difficult to explain. I was trying to explain it to Stella, and. I, I try as I might, I could not do it. I could not get her to understand the kind of story they're trying to tell. She just couldn't she couldn't get it. Well, I, I think until she understands who people like Neil Armstrong are sure. and, and Buzz Aldrin, I think that's it's probably gonna be a little bit lost on her. But like I trying to but trying to explain to her that like it's a buzz story, but it's not about Buzz the toy. It's about Buzz like a person. She's like, but Buzz is a toy. And I, I we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't get past that. <laughs> that detail yeah i'm i'm wondering i'm sure it'll be successful with adults yeah, it almost seems like they're i i think the way to do it would be to gear this one towards adults which i know disney won't let them do because they're control freaks but i i've lamented this for years and i'll probably bring it up again i brought it up before and i'll probably bring it up again next week but the fact that they couldn't get out from under Disney's thumb to make more adult orientated stories is forever going to be frustrating to yeah, me. I agree. I agree. Um so I don't I don't really have a lot of much more to say on too. I mean, I'm I'm pretty nitpicky about it. Like I said, I think there's a lot of growing pains in it. I think the director video nature of its origins are very clear to me. I mean, if you have any other reasons why you think it's so beloved i would love to hear them i mean i i just i think it's it's again it's all the little details i think it's increasing the the voice cast a lot and i think there's still such a strong message um of 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 trust and and sticking it out and and you know i love there's a great line towards the end where it's like i can't stop andy from growing up but i wouldn't miss it for the world and this idea of you know, and, and and I think, you know, I don't know how much that line would have hit me if I wasn't a parent, but, you know, that's, you know, it's like, you know, time goes by and, you know, I, you know, I, I, I would, I would love for my kids to just stay kids forever and not have to grow up and not have to deal with the inevitable shit that everybody has to deal with. But, you know, I, but again, like, like the line says, I wouldn't miss it for the world, you know? And so, and I, that's what I, I think that's what I was trying to get at is that, we can be nitpicky now, but I still, at the end of the day, it's not a bad movie. And I still, I still really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, but you're not, you're not putting it on before you'd put on something else that you love more than 
in in the Pixar canon, Ab- right? Absolutely. Yes. That that it's, is it's a, definitely yes. much when when I reveal my my full ranking of of the Pixar movies, I don't think you're going to be surprised at this one's placement. That's yeah. Yeah. I get that. And and I will say and I will say this, I mean, we talked about pacing and length a little bit. I mean, if you lose all of the buzz video game stuff, if you lose Zerg, I mean, this is a, it's not only does it trim the movie a bit, but it's 50% a better movie. Those are, I think, unnecessary distractions. I, I, I don't, it's, yes, I, I think all the stuff that happens, especially later on with Zerg is unnecessary. I, I know it's another, it's another, um, another uh, obstacle to overcome as they're going down the elevator and trying to get to, I mean, that's all there too. I don't mind the opening. I think the opening of toy story two is pretty fun that Rex is still just being Rex, you know, and and just never, never happy with where he is. And and that's all fun stuff. But yeah, I I agree though. You could easily lose all of it because it's not vital to the story. Definitely. The the whole, like doing the empire strikes back. I am your father. Like I, the note, the note that I took there literally just says, stop it. (laughs) And it's and it's also like one dramatic beat too many when we're already gonna have this massive, you know, airport sequence. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, so let's let's move on to Toy Story three. Now, Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. You think you can take care of him for me? Okay, then. Uh, this time, John Lasseter is not the director. That would be uh, Lee Unkrich. The sole credited screenwriter is Michael Arndt, although there were a lot of other um, story-by credits there. Um Pivotal to note here that um, between Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, Jim Vardy uh, passed away. I think he had been battling cancer for quite some time. So Blake Clark was brought in to do the voice of Slinky Dog. Our other new additions would be Ned Beatty as Lotso Hug and Bear, Michael Keaton as the Ken doll. Uh, and then we get a lot of the other uh, Bonnie's, um, Bonnie's uh, animals, which are great. So we get uh, Timothy Dalton as Mr. Picklepants. Kristen Schaal as Trixie, Jeff Garland as Buttercup, Bonnie Hunt as Dolly, and um, I, I, you know, I put her. Whoopi Goldberg uh, plays Stretch. She's the um, the octopus uh, that's sort of like a right hand uh, associate of Lotso. It's so weird though that I mean, a pretty major name like Whoopi Goldberg did a voice in the movie and yet really doesn't do very much at all in in the movie. Honestly, I don't even hear Whoopi Goldberg in there. I, I, it, does, it doesn't sound like her. I can, weird. but it just is so weird. It's just such a small, really, really thinkless role. <laughs> um, okay. And, oh, and, uh, sorry, well, you, you mentioned you mentioned uh, the chatter, the chatter telephone, the, that noir element, the Mission Impossible noir element. That's he's voiced by Teddy Newton. Uh, we also have uh, a character actor I love, Richard Kind, is the bookworm. Oh yes, yes, yes. Again, then, underutilized. Uh, yeah, definitely. And then Bud Lucky as Chuckles the Clown. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then our our director, Lee Unkridge, he has a cameo as the Jack in the Box, the one that is elated at new toys in the daycare. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I should mention while I'm on Unkridge, uh, 
one thing that I really do appreciate about Pixar is that there seems to be a very sort of old Hollywood thing of bringing animators in and developing talent and allowing people they people don't just stay at their station they are allowed to grow and develop uh lee unkridge started out as an animator and then worked his way up through the ranks was a co-director on finding nemo monsters inc and then after this would go on to direct one of their best coco yep yep so i i love that idea of people coming in entry level and then hey one day you'll maybe you'll get a project of your own i think that's fantastic yeah i agree um so this movie comes out 11 years after uh, Toy Story 2 in 2010. Um, it is, it's a bit longer. It's an hour 40 minutes, um, hour 43 if you want to get uh, really specific. Um, but it is. it was um, the third film, the third animated film ever to be up for Best Picture. Uh, it didn't win, but it did win animated feature that year. And it also won song uh, for We Belong Together. Um, also was nominated for sound editing and adapted screenplay. Um, 98% of Rotten Tomatoes and uh, is on the IMD, IMDb 250, and I have it at 110. Uh, that places it between uh, some strange bedfellows. Uh, Come and See is on one side of it, which I have not seen, but I, I know of its reputation. And uh, on the other side of it is Lawrence of Arabia. I, 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 mean, I mean, okay. Here's, here's what I'll say. What I... Given the choice, would I watch Toy Story three before Lawrence of Arabia? I would, yes. But to see it on a but but to see it on a list like this, it it, it does it does kind of make me scratch my head <laughs> just just a little bit, just a touch, <laughs> especially given its placement. Yeah, um, and so that's that's what I got on the staff front. What was there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I would uh, I would call out that uh, we've mentioned the cashiers du cinéma. A handful of times, they placed this film at number four on their best of the year. Excuse me, best of the decade. Oh snap! Look at that. That's that's uh, that's high praise. It is, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So let's get in. Let's start. Let's get into Toy Story three. So, um, time has passed and Andy is growing up and Andy is about to go to college and uh, the toys have clearly not been played with. And he has to make a decision on what toys are going to go in the attic, which toys are going to be thrown away. Um, After uh, a misunderstanding, Andy has put these toys in a garbage bag. His intention is for them to go into the attic, except for his mom uh, has mistakenly decided to put them out with the garbage. Woody, however, has not only missed the box for donations and the attic and the garbage, Woody has made the college box. Andy was going to take him with him to college. Woody goes on a daring mission to save the toys, and they all and um, Jesse comes up with this plan that you know what we'll do? We'll go to Sunnyside. We're going to go to the daycare because kids get played with at daycare. And Woody tags along because he gets kind of trapped in the car. And they show up there, and we meet Lotso and crew. And um, Woody is like, "You guys can stay, but I'm going to go because Andy wanted me for his his trip." So. Uh, we've got for a while there. We got two separate things. We got Woody trying to get back to Andy, except for he gets picked up by Bonnie, and then we meet all of her toys, and then we find out that Woody has to go back to Sunnyside, and I'll explain. And then we've got Buzz and crew at Sunnyside, and they end up in the Caterpillar room, uh, which they're all excited about, except for when they realize that these are little little kids who don't know how to play with toys. In a very funny sequence, uh, which I, I I really, especially having young kids, I totally understand. Um, so we find out later through Chuckles the Clown that Lotso is a mean bear 
and that um, he is sort of running Sunnyside with an iron fist. So Woody has to go back. Buzz also tries to investigate what's going on, and he gets caught, and they switch him over to demo mode, and now Buzz is under the control of Lotso and crew. Woody attempts a, a, a daring rescue mission in which almost they get away, except for they don't. And what happens is all of them, including Lotso, end up in a uh, big garbage can and headed for the dump. Uh, very emotional sequence when they are being sorted through the chat trash thing. Almost incinerated to oblivion, but our, our lucky, uh, lovely alien friends with the claw save them. And uh, they make their way back to Andy, and ultimately uh, Andy gives all of his toys away to young Bonnie, and uh, you're left sobbing in tears. <laughs> I was going to say, and cue the waterworks. <laughs> um, also, one of the greatest callbacks in the entirety of the Pixar canon is when they are rescued by the Claw and the aliens. Oh, I mean, that is... I, I wish I had been in the cinema to see that because I have to imagine that was a moment that brought the fucking house down. You know, it it was so funny. So Melissa and I, we saw this, uh, and this was years ago, obviously. So we this was pre-kids. And, you know, it... it you know, because not you know, it, it's a tr I, you know before we the, before the fourth one was even a thought, we just assume that this is the last one. You know, and you're watching this. The whole thing is about Andy's going to college, and he's and the toys are gone. So how much thought is Andy going to give about where do the toys go, right? And so when they're when they're heading when they're headed down the 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 garbage towards the the fire, I think everybody in the in the theater. And this was mostly like people our age at the time, you know, mid to late 20s, were like, nobody was breathing. And then they get saved, and there was a big, like a big, like sigh of relief. I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say that it was like raucous, but there was certainly like, a, oh, and collectively, like people started breathing again. But it, 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 it's the moment when Andy's giving the toys away that. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like I like I say, I do think that is the great one of the greatest callbacks in Pixar's history. Oh, yeah. The problem is is yeah, it it comes on the it, it it comes in the middle of one of the most emotional moments in the series. Like it deep in your heart of hearts, you know that Disney aren't gonna let this happen. They're not gonna kill these characters. That's it's not happening. But there is they've it's done in such such a great way. This is the thing that I really reflected on on this second viewing. I was kind of dismissive of that moment in particular on my first viewing that that idea of yeah this isn't going to happen but i allowed myself a little more suspension of disbelief i tried to be a little more open-minded on this viewing and yeah i did find that my my heart was caught in my throat in that moment the the, the bit where they all hold hands it's making it's making the hairs yes. on my arms stand up just thinking about it that it's so good it earns it it earns that beat so much and well, this is this is where the third one not only succeeds in its own right but succeeds specifically over two is that it earns a lot of those emotional beats enough time had passed you know the graphics had caught up with their you know the animators imaginations i mean the opening sequence let, let, if, if we can, let's try and go through this one, not necessarily beat for beat, but if you if we can switch gears and go back to the beginning yeah. and work our way back towards the ending, I'd love to do that. The opening, it was that was the original opening for the first movie, and they just it was too ambitious. They couldn't make it, make it work. And what's great about that, enough time having passed, is now we can see what Andy sees yeah. when he plays with his toys. What a great way to open it. Oh, and yeah. it just the fact that it just keeps getting bigger 
and bigger and more ridiculous. There are force fields. There are, you know, aliens oh. driving the convertible. Death, there death is by monkeys. Pork, yeah, death by monkeys. Pork chops. Giant piggy zeppelin with the monkey atomic bomb. It's insane. It is so much fun. Like you, you know, you know that you're gonna have a great ride the second that movie starts. And the little callbacks where to where we do cut back to and this the movie goes a little nostalgia heavy with the video camera montage, but when the little callback of when we see the poster of um the wanted poster for Mr. Potato Head that Andy has drawn with the fifty bazillion dollars. Yeah. That was that was exactly the way it was in the first movie. Like I'm like, I'm in this thing, let's do this. This is gonna be a big nostalgia hit. All right, Disney Pixar, I will give my emotions over to you. Well, and then, yeah, and then cutting cutting ahead, you know, we we realize that the toys have had to create this this plan in order to even really see Andy. They they steal his cell phone and another cell phone, and they call it so that he can find it and open up the trunk. And you know, I gotta say this idea of using a cell phone to get noticed, like how prescient is that? Like. Uh, and it's so in, in, in our, in the St. John household, like we recently got new phones and Melissa's old phone, you know, we took the SIM card out, but Stella will play games on it sometimes. And it's, it's, she's six and she's not on it all the time, but when she's on it, it's like, it's like, Hey, hello. Hey, I need, look, I'm talking to you. I need your attention. And it's just crazy how, how, um, relevant that still is 10 years later. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it kind of predicted the future a little bit with that. Yeah, and and it, I think, and personally, I think that goes into the whole miscommunication of what happens with the t- the toys in the trash bag. I mean, clearly, and I'm getting I'm getting really like into the parent sort of point of view here, but like Andy was not fucking listening at all when his mom was like, "Hey, listen, in the box, donation, garbage bag, trash," and like, how how do you get more clear than that? And yet. He still finds, and I, I get, I get that Andy didn't want the toys thrown away, but he fucked that up. He Andy fucked that up pretty bad, and he put the toys in a well, trash he's, bag. He, he's a seventeen-year-old little dickhead. What do you want? Ex- no, exactly. But that's like that's what I'm saying though. Like that in conjunction with the cell phone thing, I was like, man, and that was ten years ago, and this shit's only gotten worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that that fucking hit hard. <laughs> Well, I mean, these Pixar guys, they are tech guys. I mean, they knew where it was going. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also, a little callback to 2. I mean, as much as I rag on 2, I mean, the prospector had it right. He, you know, he asked Woody, you know, how long is how long is Andy going to play with you? How long is he going to love you? And, and now we see the result of that and just how right the prospector was, which is why I thought it would have been great if at some point, you know, bring the prospector back. Yeah. Yeah. I could, that makes sense. Um, so, okay. So, and I don't, I'm not trying to jump ahead too much, but then basically they've been put out in the bag and they escape. And Jesse's idea of going to sunny side, which I got to say, how, how do they know about the daycare? I, I think it gets, it gets mentioned because the mom makes the, the girl, the, the the sister, you know, you know, what do, what do you want? Because it's going to go to Sunnyside. She mentions it to her. That's and that's where Barbie yeah. gets thrown into the box. Yeah. 
So then, and and Ham's Ham's great line of "I get the convertible." Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, and I gotta say, there there are two things. There, well, there's I mean, there's lots, but I remember this time watching it, thinking, you know what? If you believe that you you that you were gonna get thrown away because you're in a trash bag, you end up outside, and you're and you're coming from the toys point of view. Jesse's plan is not only sound but a good idea. Let's go to a daycare where we're going to get played with. Maybe we won't have an owner, but we're certainly going to have interaction with kids, which is sort of, you know, essentially a toy's purpose is to make kids happy. So I was like, yeah, I'm on board. I get this. I get why you're doing that. The other thing, and this might be a big thing, but I, I kept thinking it. So I'm just going to say it. Lots. Yeah. Lotso. Ultimately he's a, he's a big lion piece of shit, right? Yes. But is what he said is is the idea of how he's running the daycare really that bad? Because here's what I mean, he he tries to explain like you know your new toys. We need you to be in this room so that the toys that have been here for a while can be played with the kids who are a bit older. And then and then as you've been here for a while, you'll get moved to the other room. Isn't that like how jobs work? Don't you like you start out low and you have a shitty job, but then you prove yourself and then you get promoted. That's how life works. And ultimately, yes, Lotso's a, a dick, and we, we get that. But I remember, like, the first part of the movie before that, that big plot twist happens, I'm thinking, yeah, you're the new toys. What? what you think you're just going to get to go to the butterfly room? No. No, you, you start in the caterpillar room, and then you earn your keep, and then you make it next door. Yeah, Lotso is it's, – it's continuing a tradition of, of what I think was started just a few years ago – as far as this film is concerned with Ratatouille, this Ratatouille for me is where the writers at Pixar really started to evolve and to, to write better characters, uh, more nuanced sort of situations and dangers for their characters to sort of weave in and out of. And Lotso, I think Lotso has the best of intentions at heart. He's almost like Swearingen and Deadwood for me. Like, he's got the town's best interests in mind, but he just kind of goes about them in a very, very harsh way. You know, yeah. it may not look like he's got the best intentions from the outside, but he really does. I mean, and at the end of the day, he's only the bad guy because Buzz and Jesse and the gang are the good guys. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... So there's, there is some nuance there. There is some great writing there. And we that flashback, that very noirish flashback that we get with Chuckles telling his story... I, that's that's great, man. Like you really start to feel a lot of empathy for Lotso. I mean, you, you hope so anyway. You, I would hope that an audience wouldn't just write him off as just being a bad guy. You know, it's it's interesting though because I I think while Lotso is given the time to be more of a a, a, a truer villain in the sense of of how that works in, in stories like this, I actually prefer the idea of why I stinky Pete's intentions I think are stronger than Lotso's um, because well, I think, well, I think his, the, the resolution is stronger with prospector because he, he doesn't do just devolve into an angry bad guy in the same way that Lotso does. Yeah. Um, so, because I, I just the the uh, the backstory of Lotso and Chuckles and Big Baby, 
it just didn't, I don't know. Like we, we got a story of abandonment before in in the last movie. You know, to be honest, there's a lot of carryover from two in three that still works for me, but it's, I, I'll be honest. Lotso's backstory does not, I mean, I, I get where he's coming from, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm empathetic for him at all. Hmm. I don't know. The idea of being replaced. Well, sure. I don't know. That does kind of, it, it, it hits home. I get that. No. And I, I, and, and again, it's, it's, I, I think all four of the movies have very, you know, very clear themes and important messages to get across. And yeah, the idea of being replaced and like, what do you, what do you do when something better comes along or whatever? And, and it's, and it's important. And I think, I think it is done well. I just, I can't say that I'm overly, you know, sentimental to his plight. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really lose it for me until like I mentioned at the end where there's that scene over the garbage can. And when he does abandon them to the incinerator, that's where I'm like, well, now you've lost some of the nuance. I mean, I agree, and obviously, you know, maybe, maybe there's a better way that they could have done it, which still gets us to the the, the, the inferno moment. But yeah, I agree. It, it does. It's it's the most like it's mustache twirly moment that yeah, Lotso it's, has. It's, yeah, it's very much mustache twirly. Uh, but I do think he also his his comeuppance is fantastic. Oh yeah, I agree. Getting I, strapped to the front of that garbage can and the little moment where the guy is like, oh, I used to have one of these and he, he still smells like strawberries. I'm like, there's no way he still smells like strawberries, but okay. Okay, so now here's the thing. I, <laughs> I realize that he's been in a trash, like like a big, like a big, big fucking, um, uh, like a landfill. But those toys that have the things put in them to smell like whatever, like we still have toys that Stella got before, like when she turned one. And they still smell like cotton candy. Like it's cr- really, it's fucking crazy to me that they still smell and 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 as potent as ever. It's weird. That's gotta that's that's gotta make you wonder, man. Yeah, that, that's that shit's that shit's not healthy. No, it's there's not. Some toxic. There's some toxic shit in there. I the, it prob- we're all we're, <laughs> we're actually. I, I was gonna tell you we're all we're we're not doing very well over here. Oh oh Jesus, man! <laughs> you gotta throw those toys out. Throw them in the incinerator. But speaking of that, and this was of of all of the movies, this was the only movie I actually wrote this note. I really wish I still had some of my toys. Yeah, I, I get that. I, and obviously, I think it's because Andy has to give them up at the end. But I'm watching it and I'm going, "Fuck, man! I wish I still had my like my GI Joes or my my cars or whatever." Like, I, fuck, I don't have any of that stuff. There is there is one thing. This will resonate with any any Brits listening to the show. I do still wish I had my Tracy Island playset with the die cast Thunderbirds. Like the original, like because I had some vintage ones. That shit's worth some money now. Well, and I, I don't know. Thunderbirds, it, that whole marionette show, probably doesn't really ring, doesn't ring uh, any bells over here in the states. But I, I, well, I can, I can safely say for me, it does not. But yeah, but it's not, it's not like a but even the, like those a collect- things were legit. <laughs> it, but it's not even like a collectible thing for me. I just like, I just still wish I like. I don't know, man. The 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 little and it's it's again it's so funny you mentioned the the opening of this movie and the way the way that we see what Andy sees when he's playing with his toys. The fucking adventures and storylines I would come up for my GI Joes, man. Like I think easily the most creative I've ever been in my entire life was when I was playing with my GI Joes. I Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That that's the that's the thing that they've captured so well over the course of 
of all four movies uh, is is the the power of a child's imagination and i think it would finally come to fruition in the fourth one when uh oh god what bonnie actually makes a toy handing off the toys to bonnie at the end my god oh i guess we're not even really there yet we should deal with the heist well yeah this there's... is where again another another moment where the third one betters the second for me like raising the stakes and that you know the the, the clock is ticking kind oh of yeah you. we've got to do this tonight we have to be out by dawn and uh, like you said, the stuff with the phone, giving Woody the briefing. I love all the stuff with the monkey and the symbols. The little, One of my favorite little details in this third movie is the bloodshot eyes because the monkey's always watching. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. That is fantastic. Um, I, and it's so great to have crazy buzz back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, and, and it's such a great, you know. You can't do it in a in a you know a normal movie with real people. Th- that's not a thing that you can do. But in a movie about toys, you can reset him back to yeah. like factory mode, which is great. Um, yeah, I, I we're gonna come back to this, but really quick, one of my favorite little details is when Woody is trying to escape the first time by himself, and he has to go through the bathroom, and he places a single ply of toilet paper on the toilet yes. when he climbs up. Fucking so great. Um, I, I love that. But yeah, it's it's. I mean. Everything with tricking Buzz. I love when Buzz tries to laser his way out of the tub and then runs into it. I love Tortilla Head and Cucumber Head. Everything with, with Miss Potato Head is fucking so funny. Well, and that's... I don't know if you know the history of the Potato Head character. I mean, he's... I will say... I think Ham and Potato Head, as far as characters go, they are my unsung heroes of the entire saga. Oh. And so I did a little bit of... I did a little bit of reading about Potato Head. He goes back to like the 1950s and for the first 10 years of the potato head toys existence there was no potato he was literally just uh all the accessories the eyes the arms the shoes and the idea was is that kids would actually stick them into real vegetables but then the 19 in the 1960s and we're you know getting a little bit more aware about child health and safety (laughs) and you know because they were actual little sharp tack things you know parents were worried about kids sticking themselves and then there was the idea of kids hanging onto these vegetables until they rot and so then the plastic <laughs> potato was introduced I, that's, that's great and the fact that they pay homage to that by sticking his bits into you know the pickle and the and the tortilla that's all great yeah yeah um and Mrs. Potato Head's reaction to him, where is is it a cucumber? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. When he when he comes in out of the shadows as Mr. Picklehead or Mr. Cucumber Head, yeah. and she gets all excited. Oh, look how tall and thin you are! That's fucking fantastic. Well, he has a line too, like "I feel so healthy." Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, that and the, and even the the color scheme sort of shifts. That I mean, they are really paying some lip service to classic heist noir movies man that just like i said that that ticks all the boxes for me you know me and my my love of noir yeah i I, um so we we talked a little bit yesterday because we were um we were sort of kind of trying to solidify how we were going to do the episode and i definitely there are two there are two moments in this movie that i'm not going to say are bad but that haven't aged well and uh one of them i mentioned to you is the moment where uh Ken is doing his fashion show, which I think is very funny. Um, but then Barbie ties him up and she puts on the astronaut suit so that the bookworm won't see who it really is when she gets the Buzz's instruction manual. And then 
The bookworm sees what he believes is Ken wearing heels and makes a like zhish reaction, which again, given the the uh, the great progression uh, of um, trans rights over the last couple of years, uh, just hasn't aged very well. I you know I think it is sort of a uh, an easy yuck yuck kind of joke that I think nowadays doesn't really go over very well. The other thing I wanted to mention to you that I didn't mention yesterday, but I, I'm going to mention now, is it's a bit unfortunate um, that there's a there's a damsel in distress moment where Buzz kind of saves Jesse um, because Jesse has been so independent and strong in in, in two and in, and at that point up in three as well that that the fact that Buzz has to save her. Again, I, I think where we've come o- over the last 10 years, I think that hasn't aged very well either. Although I still I still really like the slow motion nature. I, I think cinematically it works well, but I think, you know, culturally now, maybe not so much. Well, I think they, I, I wouldn't worry about that one so much. I think they course corrected enough in four because, I mean, Bo Peep, she is the real hero yeah. of four and she, she saves Woody in that one. So I think, I think that's, that one's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other one, going back to, to Ken, I think I mentioned this to you off mic as well, is in the credits they show little scenes and there's the one where they get the letter from the daycare letting them know how everything's going and Woody, as he's reading it, is, wow, Barbie has great handwriting and then they get to the bottom and then it's Ken and they, there's the same kind of jeesh moment. Yeah, yeah. But regardless of, of how well that's that's aged or not, uh, Ken is one of my favorite additions to this third movie. Oh yeah, Michael Keaton's Michael Keaton's voice acting is choice. It's in great. This. He is both him and there's not enough Timothy Dalton. Yeah, which I, I'm biased. I'm biased. I love Timothy well, Dalton. I but his wanting to stay in character. Yes, is Mr. Pickle I do Pants, love the, the, the addition of owner or the addition of Bonnie's toys. Uh, I think because I think Kristen Schaal. I think her voice is great in there too, and and Jeff Garland and Bonnie Hunt. Like, and like, it it makes me. And I mean, obviously we don't have these and it doesn't exist, but you know, all the other groups of toys and all the other voices that they might have just in, in the world. I, I love getting this other vibe. This here, these are Bonnie's toys and this is how, Bo- these are how Bonnie's toys act. And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. The idea that, that Woody doesn't, well, no, I guess that's in the fourth one where they deal with Woody, not running the room anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm thinking about Bonnie's toys. Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm skipping ahead That's again. The there are some yep. great ca- I know yeah, where you're there's going. There's some great cameos yeah. in the fourth. Well, yeah, we'll deal with that. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting too ahead of myself. I'm excited. But here's I mean here's the thing. I and you're right. I know. I I basically I tried to tease Jesse's backstory, but I mean it. Andy giving the toys to Bonnie is just incredible. And. Again, I, I so, think that is a I think that's a uh, a generation defining moment. Yeah. In in film, there's and and one of I think. One of the subtle things that I really, really loved about there's there's two things about that about that that you know few minutes. I don't think I realized before that when Andy gives Woody away, it's it's the one time when he's handing the toys off where he's he's actually talking directly to the toy, and they do a shot where it's just on Woody's face, and and I remember that made me cry this last time because I was like. I never thought about the fact that the toys are hearing what he's saying. You know, I've never thought about like for me, it's always been a moment between Andy and Bonnie, but this time it became so clear that the toys are also hearing what he's saying. And that last, he's talking about how loyal he is and he's always going to be there for you. Like, that's just, it was so great. You know, it's, 
it's just such a sweet thing to 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 hear. And then the other part too is when like when Bonnie makes Woody wave, and Andy has that one moment of like. Andy has that thing he does with his face. It's like, like his his face kind of like. I don't know. It looks like there's that moment where it's like if he stayed any any longer, he'd just break down. And so he he just gets in the car and goes. But he has that 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 split second of a reaction, and that just triggers it again too. I mean, you can see how how tough it actually was for him. Yeah, it's. I I don't know, man. You you've summed it up perfectly there. Just it's the it's the little it's the little moments in that sequence uh, and and him almost not wanting to give bonnie woody that almost that moment where he pulls him back which it's important i think enough time had passed and as i said before they had allowed the animation to catch up with them so that they could do you couldn't have done this scene 10 years previous to when it came out yeah and and had it had the same impact like if you went straight from one to three and if there's let's just say two three was two it wouldn't have worked yeah i agree I agree. And yeah, and both both the literal time between the films and then the storyline time of Andy going up. I mean, it's, it's such a great idea to have time kind of catch up both definitely in the world of the story and in our world of, of watching the movies. Um, definitely. Should we move on to Toy Story 4? Before we do, no. um, I wanted to, to interject. I, I guess I kind of should have done this between two and three, but whatever. Um, I mentioned that Disney had contracted other animators to work on too. Uh, there is uh, an alternate sort of history that could have happened for Toy Story had um, had Circle Seven be allowed to make their movie. I, I and I wanted to to float this plot by you and see what you think of it. So one of the original ideas for two, and I I'm not sure if it was entertained for three as well. Maybe it was, or I don't know if, if Pixar threw out all of their story ideas entirely, but there was one idea where uh, Buzz malfunctions. So the, the plot of the movie was going to be Buzz malfunctions. He's got to be sent back to the factory. Uh, he's been recalled essentially. So it's a factory in Taiwan. And so he goes off. The toys are a little, you know, scared. Oh, is Buzz ever going to come back? That kind of thing. And then they jump on a computer and they start doing research and they find out that, well, he may not come back because it turns out that this factory are destroying Buzzes and they're sending out a newer, you know, spruced up version, a, a new Buzz Lightyear, a new a continuation of this toy line. And so they end up shipping themselves to Taiwan to go and rescue Buzz. I mean, I, I think it could work. I mean, I, I, the reason why I think I would like something like that, which I think we'll get to actually in talking about Toy Story 4, is that it Buzz starts to sort of fall by the wayside in terms of the importance to the franchise. And again, it, it feels like, you know, Toy Story is about Woody and Buzz's relationship. and Toy Story 2, it still kind of is, but obviously that gets, that gets kind of pushed aside. And Toy Story 3... It's about a reconnection, but, you know, Buzz slowly becomes less and less important to the films. And absolutely, I think an idea of, you know, basically like like that sound what you're what you're saying sounds a lot like Woody's adventure in Toy Story 2, except for this time. Now it's happening to Buzz. Yeah. And it gives Buzz a chance to interact with with new creatures and new things and, and you know, have his own adventure. Yeah, I think I think that to me would be more interesting than this Buzz Lightyear 
origin story that they're planning on doing and and get it out get it out of the states you know up up the scale yeah you know yeah i agree but anyway toy story i think maybe that is a good transition into toy story 4 hey up here astro boy if you think you can just show up and take our top prize spot you're wrong dead wrong you don't understand I'm trying to Cheat get... the system and get with a kid? Yeah, we know. No, I need... A child to shower you with unconditional love? Join the club, pal. Yeah, join the club. Come on, help me get out of here. Well, I'll help you. With my foot! Get him. Oh, get him. Bunny, what are you doing? Hmm? I, I can't reach him. Help me out here, come on. Oh, sorry, Ducky, I'm not a mind reader, you know. What, what's not to understand? Hmm? You want me to say it? What? With these tiny legs, I cannot reach without your help. Oh. All right? Okay. This is what I've been talking about, buddy. You need to work on paying attention and your listening skills. Ha! <laughs> How you like that, cheetah? Huh? Wow! Yeah! <laughs> oh, to infinity and my foot! So here we go. So Toy Story 4, uh, this time directed by Josh Cooley. Um, credited screenwriters are Stephanie Folsom and, hey, Andrew Stanton coming back. Um, new voices this time. We have uh, Tony Hale as Forky. Uh, we have we have Keegan Michael Key as Ducky and Jordan Peele as Bunny, which I do love. I love a lot. Um, Christina Hendricks as Gabby Gabby, Keanu Reeves as Duke Kaboom. Yes, I Canada. And then the only one, the only other voices I have are um, like the one scene in, in Bonnie's closet where we have Mel Brooks as Melephant Brooks, Carol Burnett as Cheryl Burnett. Uh, Betty White as Bitey White and Carl Reiner as Carl Rhinoceros. I mean, those cameos. I I wish they had made a little bit more of those. Me too. And that's, I you know, I keep thinking about, I mean, because obviously, so th- this movie comes out in 2019, so it's nine years after the last one. And I, I do, it's funny because like, I wonder, but but hang on before before sorry before you move on too much. Are you really gonna leave out Carl Weathers as all the combat Carls? So I well I didn't get there yet. I was just gonna. Oh, I, oh so sorry. No 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 it's fine. No no step on your. I, yeah, yeah. What I was gonna what I was gonna say is, like I feel in a way like we were the right age when Toy Story came out, right? So it makes sense that you know Toy Story two comes out, Toy Story three comes out, even though we're older when and in two thousand and ten you know, we're still interested in seeing how these characters that we were affected by in 95, where their story goes. So even though I'm, you know, in my early thirties, when this one comes out, I still want to see it, but I'm wondering how many people our age really know who Mel Brooks and Carol Burnett and Betty White and Carl Reiner are. And I, I still, I love the cameos. I think it's great, but like, do you think it would have been, I don't know, cheaper or like, I, what if it was like, the friends cast or what if it was like sitcom stars that we grew up with? Cause it feels there's a weird, I get that they're going for older toys, the toys in the closet. So let's put these old comedians in there. And I, I get that, but I, I just wonder if there's something uh, more of a draw. If it's, if it's, if it's people that we're more familiar with. No, you definitely, you definitely have a point to that. I'm not going to take, I, I think that's, I think that is an important point to bring up. I, I especially like the idea of the cast of friends or a big sitcom like that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, the reason why I, I like the Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Betty White thing is, is I think it, it's another, it's just another detail that brings the saga full circle. Because as I mentioned, when we were talking about first one, they, the, the team at Pixar very clearly have a lot of respect for those types of comedians. We should mention that Don Rickles had passed at this point. So all of his voice acting is all archival sound. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's one of those little details that 
if you're in the know as far as that kind of world of comedy goes, you're like, oh, that's great. Now they're 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 calling out some more of those old timey great one liner comedians. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I I can I I see both I see both viewpoints. That that would have been interesting. And maybe who knows? Maybe that is something that might happen in a fifth one. That would be great to see them go for the thirty somethings and forty somethings. Yeah. Yeah. With with bringing in that type of cast, I, and I think Keanu Reeves to a degree kind of scratches that itch. Sure, oh for sure, and 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 I do, and I think Key and Peele as well. I think it for the for Ducky and and Bunny. I just yeah. Um, are they are they a character too many though? I like their moments, but it's fine. Well, let's deal with the accolades and then yeah, we'll get yeah. into that. Uh, so yeah, so it, it this it won Best Animated Feature this year at the Academy Awards. It, it uh, lost Best Song that year. Um, uh, the Seattle film critics gave it best animated feature that year. Um, uh, I also, ha- it's not on the IMDb top 250 and it has a 97% uh, critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. Any other stats you want to throw out there? I'm a good friend. Uh, it lost uh, the globe to missing link. Did you see that? I did see missing link. How was it? Not very entertaining. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, this is one that you will like though. It lost the BAFTA to Klaus. Oh man, dude, Klaus is so fucking good. It is. It really is. Oh man, what a good what a good movie that is. And it also won the PGA, but I mean that's you you would expect that. Yeah, I I, I get it. I get it. Um, okay, so Toy Story four. Um, I, I we start with a flashback, and we basically see uh the the removal of Bo Peep from Woody's life. And then we cut back to present day. We realize that Woody is not as important to Toy as Bonnie as he was to uh, Andy. We have a great moment where uh, Bonnie actually takes off his sheriff's badge and gives gives it to Jesse. We find out that Woody is not leading the room. And um, we find out that Bonnie is about to start kindergarten and she's very scared. So Woody, uh, after being told not to, jumps in her bag and sort of accompanies her to her first day of kindergarten, which... Bonnie is not having a great day, but she makes uh, an arts and craft. She puts a spork with some some putty and some um, some sticks, and thus we get Forky. And Forky comes to life, but Forky is made up of trash, essentially, and so he doesn't know that he's a toy. But by Bonnie writing her name on the sticks that are his feet, thus imbues him toy life. Um, the family is getting ready to take a vacation um, in which Forky keeps trying to run away, and Woody takes it upon himself to basically be his chaperone. Uh, Forky jumps out of the RV. Woody goes back for him and tries to and tries to basically save the day. But Buzz is concerned that they're not going to make it. So Buzz starts listening to his inner voice and goes on his own mission to save Woody. So as Buzz is trying to save Woody, Woody is trying to save Forky. Uh, Woody and Forky end up running into Bo Peep again, which is a fun little moment of reuniting. Uh, Buzz ends up at a fair in which we start to meet uh, Bunny and Ducky. And then there's this, uh, this this antique shop, which we meet Gabby Gabby. And Gabby Gabby has a voice box, but it doesn't work. And she wants Woody's. Oh, there's so much going on. And then we realize that's where Bo Peep was. And uh, they need to try to escape. And because Forky has been taken captive and they need the help of Duke Kaboom to make that happen. And then they escape, but Woody didn't get Forky. Uh, uh, there's just so much there's there's way too much happening in, in, in this fourth movie ultimately what happens is uh, there's a weird crazy moment where um, the toys convince Bonnie's parents to drive back to the fairgrounds 
And it looks like Woody is going to go back with all the toys, but then he realizes, no, what he really wants to do is be with Bo Peep. And Woody and Buzz and the gang split up, and Woody now becomes a lost toy. But in a sense, he's now also a found toy. Exactly. Like, exactly. What, what, I, what I loved about your exasperated rendition of the plot of Toy Story 4 is you're absolutely right. This is something that I... I really that really clicked with me on this viewing is you know Toy Story 3 went up in my estimation Toy Story 4 went down in my estimation there is too much going on in this film it's so funny you say that because I this was obviously the last movie we watched we watched them all in order and the girls were having a blast the girls were watching it they they were loving it. I'm taking my notes and and I we started the movie without Melissa because she was had she had to do some other things and at one point she came downstairs and I looked at her, and I, I had to mouth it because I didn't, I didn't want the girls to hear me. But I said, "This movie really isn't that good." And she kind of laughed, and, and it was like, and I don't know if it was because we saw this in theaters, and we saw it with Stella, and she enjoyed it so much in the theaters. But like, I remember liking this movie when I saw it in theaters. Well, I, if you remember, if you go back to episode forty three, <laughs> being there, you and I, we talked a good game when it came to Toy Story four. We really did. We really did. And now it's a year and a half later and it's it's had time to sit and sort of permeate in our minds. We've had second, third or fourth viewings of it and yeah, I uh, I think this film does too much to try and survive on the goodwill created by the first three. Yeah. Um but, but that's not to say there isn't a lot to appreciate about it. Right out of the gate, I still feel that Gabby Gabby is one of their best characters in any Pixar movie. She is so well-written. She isn't a bad guy. She is an antagonist, but she is not a bad guy. All she wants is to be loved, and she's found a way that she thinks that she can accomplish that, and it means a great, another great... There's so much about this movie where things do come full circle. Again, almost too many, but Woody gets to, to be the toy that we always know him to be, and he has to make a sacrifice for another toy yeah i mean and giving away his voice box yeah well and and two things one yes i i totally agree about gabby gabby and i think i think single movie character arcs hers is so great because you know she gets the voice box and she's so thrilled and then um what is her name uh harmony harmony throws her just tosses her to the side and like you, what a heartbreak! It's a heartbreaking moment. You can't help but but feel terrible for her at that moment, and I absolutely. But I and I love that she finds somebody uh, that that lost kid at the end to sort of to take her in. But I also was like, you know what? This movie didn't have that major emotional moment, and it's I felt like they tried to force it in with the lost kid, and and Melissa Melissa kind of got you know choked up. But I was like. This time around, I was like, man, you're really forcing that in there, aren't you? You, I think you're trying to get that major cry moment or like, the, you know, I'm welling up. And second time around, I just was not, I wasn't. I, yeah, it wasn't working for me either. But you Because meant, we need to get, we need to get to the emotional moment of Buzz and Woody splitting up. Yeah, exactly. And Tim Allen, Tim Allen has said that, you know, neither of them could get through that because at this point they were recording their, I think by the second one, they were insisting on recording together which doesn't usually happen exactly and i think hanks hanks did the same thing he insisted on recording all of annie potts dialogue 
you know, she voices Bo Peep. He, he wanted to make sure they did all that together so that you really feel the chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, you, you need to get to that moment. And like, like two, I think this one repeats a lot of the mistakes of two is there is just one too many emotional beats. Yeah. And like I just said with Ducky and Bunny, I think even though their stuff is a lot of fun, it's distracting. There are, there are too many characters in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, no, I totally agree. Um, yeah. It's, it's so funny because there are, and it's, this movie is about as long as, as um, the third one. And I kept, I, I kept writing like, there are fun set pieces and interesting moments, but like, I wh- what what do we need? What is important in this movie? Like, obviously, there's the moment where they've they've just escaped. I think they've just gotten out of the the antique shop the first time, and and like barely got out, right? And he's like, we need to go back, and and I think Bo Peep even goes, nobody wants this, and and they kind of have an argument, and he, Woody finally goes out because it's all I have left to do. And this idea of purpose and what is our purpose. And I, it's a great moment and I, and I wouldn't take it out. I'm not, not suggesting that, but it's no, also that, like, that is some of the, that is some of the best stuff. Woody's desperation. Yeah. It's definitely some of the best stuff in the movie. And it's tough because I like that really like Woody's purpose. What is Woody's purpose now? I think ultimately is the story that we're trying to, to follow here. So then it means sacrificing the buzz stuff if you do that, then Buzz, like, he's not even in the fucking movie. Yeah, and his his best stuff, again, comes down to, to cheap and easy laughs, like the finding your inner voice where he just keeps pressing his voice box. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all fairly, it's fairly boilerplate Disney easy laugh shit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and, I agree. And, and while we're going negative, while we're going negative, I, I do think the song, I Won't Let You Throw Yourself Away, I do think that's great. Uh, I think it's one of the better Randy Newman songs. Uh, I, I do. There is stuff about that montage where Woody is trying to save Forky essentially from himself because yeah. Forky believes he is trash. You know, again, that, that deals with, you know, transcending purpose. That's, again, a very important message. But when I found out that Randy Newman wrote that song about suicide, I'm like, is suicide is an important issue i'm not going to take anything away from that i'm not going to demean anything about suicide prevention anything like that but is this the right platform for that well no no probably not at all um yeah i get that forky is quote unquote trying to kill himself by throwing himself away but i come on man yeah it's so funny you mentioned that that montage because the note i wrote during the montage was that it was it was too long and that it, it was that moment where I thought, you know what? And that I wonder if if Disney had had a little more patience, if this would have if this story, this this Toy Story four could have been extrapolated and made into like a six part miniseries. Ooh, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because there is so much going on and and. I think you, you you could give more time to to what Forky's going through. You could give a hell of a lot more time to like the Buzz and Ducky and Bunny stuff. And and like because Disney, you know, there are so many streaming platforms now, all given an opportunity to take what could make, what which could be like really complicated hour and forty five long minute movies, and yet what they're able to do is extrapolate them out and make them. 
more palatable, easier to understand, and yet still be entertaining. I know we got to the end of the movie, and there was just there was just so much to try and reconcile. Definitely, too much. Absolutely. You know, and and again, this movie is full of great little tidbits. I mean, I I think the moment I laughed the loudest is when each time the third combat Carl can't get a high five. Oh God, I love that so much. <laughs> it's just so good. But like, yeah, I mean, this. Toy Story 4 is about 50% of a good movie because of little details like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's there's the moment when Buzz is trying to convince the the Ducky and Bunny to come with him. It's like I I can get you to kids and he's like like a human kid, not a baby goat. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like funny one-liners, funny shit like that. Duke Duke Kaboom's whole thing like it's a commercial. It's not real. Like it, it's Duke Kaboom's backstory is very funny. But it is not necessary. I mean, oh yeah. It, and, and I kept. I honestly. I, this is really tough. But I get that Bonnie is very connected to Forky because Forky was the thing that got her through the first day. And having have having having taken a child to her first day of kindergarten and seeing kids freak out because like the parents are leaving and it's a huge change. I get that there is some emotional weight that Bonnie has with Forky. What I do know though, as well, is that kids that age have a very short memory and that if Forky was to say, get thrown away, it would be a rough day or two, but I, I don't, I'm not trying to sound cruel. She'd get past it. And so the whole idea of, of the movie is based on a premise that I find fairly absurd yeah it's a it's it's thin that was as i'm as i'm going through my notes i'm like oh this plot point is thin this detail needs to be fleshed out like now that you've said it that miniseries idea then that's really locked on in my brain as a as a martin scorsese gangs new york missed opportunity kind of thing you know i and while I, and while i'm making weird comparisons are you ready for a backhanded compliment oh shit my favorite yeah, this is so. Here's and again, I might lose some people because I know how well this movie is respected, but Toy Story Four for me is Pixar's Hook. It's it's Hook is Steven Spielberg just showing off, and that's what Toy Story Four is for me. One thing that Liz, well, I really I should give the credit to Liz, but as I'm taking notes, she was like, "Hey, you need to make sure you take a look at this." We were talking about uh, the environments, especially in the scene where Forky. And Woody are walking down the road trying to get back to the town and the rest stop to catch up with the RV. Yeah. Like, this, it's stunning. This is beautiful looking. So why couldn't we take all the effort that went into making this film look as good as it possibly could with 2019 technology and apply some of that dedication to a more coherent, less jumbled, busy story? Yeah, I mean... I I I've, I I of course I agree with you, and it's we we've talked about this before on on lots of other episodes where we talk about like you know it's a bit too long or there's a, there's one too many plot points, and so what do you you know what do you do? What do you cut to to make it more concise and and not just not for the sake of time, but to make it to make it easier to follow? And this one's tough. It's a tough one to try to figure out. Well, what do you what do you do to make it an easier watch? And does that mean losing some of the funnier bits? Does it mean losing characters that are totally new to the story? Which, of course, I you know I mean 
part of me says, yes, of course. We don't need Duke Kaboom. We don't need Ducky and Bunny at all. But there's a lot of great funny shit that they do. So I would I would advocate actually Duke Kaboom having his own movie. I think he's an interesting enough character. <laughs> I, 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 it's so great. I mean, it is. It's so great to, to have Christina Hendricks and, and Keanu Reeves and Kean Peele come in and do stuff. I, I think it's great. I, I honestly think it's fantastic. And I... And Tony Hale, I should should say that Tony Hale's voice voice performance of Forky is great too. I I oh he's I love him. He's swinging for it. Liz and I are actually working our way through Veep right now. Yeah, on HBO, I, I, we love Tony Hale. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, I I I truly I mean it's the thing is I truly don't I don't have anything else to say. I I, I don't. It's it, this it it really feels like a, a letdown. It feels like a cash grab. It it feels to me it's 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 one of the like this and Brave and I, I I to anybody who likes Brave I I think Brave has a good story in there somewhere but this it feels like these are the most disingenuous Pixar films it it feels just like I I just don't feel right about them. Oh man, have I got some surprises for you next week? Okay. And uh, yeah, the the more that we talk about Toy Story four now, it's even it's losing even more goodwill in my estimation, even as we just go along through this. I, I, I will say, as far as as I talked about showing off, uh, all the stuff in the antique store, as far as detail, being detail-orientated, I love it. I mean, there is the list of things that are in that antique store that are callbacks or references, not only to other Pixar films, but their shorts and other movies. Uh, the Shining, there's another reference to The Shining in that as well, with the... Uh, Midnight, the stars and you, that song you that ends the shining, you can hear that on a phonograph in the antique store. Tinny from one of the original Pixar shorts turns up uh in the pinball machine where they meet Duke Kaboom. Yep. Uh and the, he gives he gives Woody the side eye because he was supposed to be the main character in one of the very first drafts of Toy Story. That's a great full circle moment for people in the know. Yeah. There's references to Star Wars in there too. That there's there's again like the story itself there is almost too much going on in that antique store to pick up on all of it even though it's a great looking environment i shouldn't use the word set necessarily because it's all computer generated but it is a great looking environment and especially the backs of the shelves with all the dust and the little pathways the sort of labyrinth yeah that's created in there i mean all of that is solid stuff it's just a shame that it got caught up and lost in the noise of this very very busy movie yeah, I I agree. I mean, one of one of the details that I read about is that there are ten thousand individually modeled objects in that antique store, and they are all situated to look like they're placed by hand. Uh, well, that's incredible, but to what point and purpose? Yeah, yeah, very true. I I I I agree. So yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm at the end of all the things that I want to say about Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah. How, how how are we feeling now that we've had this journey through all four? I don't regret watching any of these. Um any chance I can get to watch something entertaining and 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 watch it with my kids, I will take it. Um Yeah, I it, it was fun to watch them all in succession and and just in general to to have rewatched a lot of the Pixar movies over the last month or so. It's been it's been great. I, I I will say I've kind of got the Pixar fatigue though. It's going to be a little while oh, <laughs> before I revisit it. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> um. So 
is it I, I don't know what to call it is it is it thesis time do we do we want to kind I, of I I suppose it is I don't know you uh did you have I've I've mentioned some unsung heroes do you have an unsung hero of the saga or just anybody you wanted to call out in particular any other shots um yeah I mean I do I there's some I do I was so bummed when they announced this this Buzz Lightyear prequel thing because I remember walking out of Toy Story four and most uh, the Toy Story movies end with the the blue sky and the clouds and when the fourth one ended at night with the moon there was just something so like night and day beginning and end I felt I just was like oh they're done maybe maybe they'll actually that this was their way of actually stopping. And maybe and maybe the Buzz Lightyear thing is like a cheat because it's about or like it's about a real guy and maybe it won't be about toys at all. I don't I don't know. Um, I just I there's well, I think I think you end the Buzz Lightyear movie with the creation of the toy. Sure, I think sure, yeah. But um, I do I there I did really like the way that Toy Story four ended. I I I thought hopefully as a wrap up I thought it was I thought it was very nice in terms of um like throughout the the franchise. I, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it with with uh, Potato Head and Ham. I think they're great. Um, I mean, it's always great to have Ham's little one-liners come in. I think he's hilarious. I'm oh, like, he's ever the pragmatist. Have you ever ever heard of Kung Fu? Well, here's well here's Pork Chop. Like, just fucking come on, man. That's just great. He he gets some of the best lines. Yeah. But yeah, no, thesis time. Uh, may I, I would love to go first because I think yours may be a little bit positive, a little bit more positive than mine. And I think it'd be better to go out sure. on that. Sounds good. Sounds All good. All right, here we go. And mine is a little long winded. So if you'll bear with me, though, the first film still holds up, should be recognized for its groundbreaking achievement and is essential cinema, including all four films in the book is problematic, though consistent in revealing the inconsistent pandering of late in the thousand and one films you must see before you die. Over time, they've gotten some things right by listing The Lord of the Rings as one entry. The book was supposed to be published as one volume originally, which we'll get into if we ever feel like tackling that behemoth. But the first three Star Wars films still have their own individual entries. Kill Bill Volume 1 was once in there by itself, and we need to stop with this whole two films, one film nonsense when it comes to Kill Bill. And so was the Bourne Ultimatum rather than the whole Bourne trilogy at the time. Why would you watch just the third one if you're using this book as a guide? Anyway, sorry, I digress. It's hard to imagine anyone who hasn't seen at least one of these films who is a serious fan of Disney Pixar, animation, or films in general. Which proves that the title of the book is something of a misnomer, as I have argued before on this show, and the inclusion of all four cheapens the entire endeavor. One, as I've said, is groundbreaking and still holds up. Two, and I recognize that I'm in the minority here, was given a pass. Three is perfect and a beautiful way to end a trilogy, and has emerged as my new favorite after not having seen it in a decade. And though four, as I said, works 50-50, Disney played fast and loose with the good feelings built by the first three, and I think got lucky in that it wasn't any worse than the string of poor to abysmal sequels that plagued them in Pixar in the 2010s. The standard the book sets for helping people root out great little-scene cinema should be higher, and combined entries like this waste valuable space. Should the first Toy Story be in the book? Yeah, probably. But this platform could be used to elevate other animation, even in Disney Pixar's canon, such as the misunderstood masterpiece that is Inside Out. 
Well said, my friend. And this would be Thank you. a great time to also mention that uh, I, I replaced Pinocchio uh, with Inside Out. So I just want to put that out there as well. Okay, here we go. Taken as a whole, the Toy Story franchise is one of the rare cases in which the films are profitable, praised by critics, and adored by fans. Individually, each story reveals key themes to life that builds in each film. In Toy Story, we see what it means to work with those that are different from us, and if we can just talk to each other, we'll see how much we have in common. In Toy Story 2, we see what it means to trust, to have friends you can count on, to know that even if something terrible lies at the end of the road, the journey there can be worth it. In Toy Story 3, we learn what it means to let go. We learn that our, our idea of family isn't just those related to us by blood, and that saying goodbye, though hard, is an important part of life. In Toy Story 4, we learn what it means to sacrifice. We learn that our life's purpose can change at a moment's notice, and that time and distance does not mean that friendships end. And while I love the additions of Key and Peele and Keanu Reeves and the badassery of Bo Peep in Toy Story 4, and while I think Jesse's backstory montage in Toy Story 2 may be a top five Pixar moment, I don't believe these films should be necessarily in the book. If told, you have to keep all of the films in the book as a unit or they all come out, I would say keep them all in. However, if given the choice, I would replace Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 4. And I'm not going to say with what, because I will tell you that next week. Fantastic. See, I knew yours was going to be a little more, a uh, little more positive and, <laughs> and uh, not so condemning of the foundation with which we built this podcast. That's yeah, you know, it's it's all good. It's all good. So, um, so yeah, th th those are our thoughts on the, the Toy Story films, and in a way, this conversation will continue on next week because next week we're talking about Pixar. Uh, among other things, I'd say the the bulk of the episode is going to be ranking uh, individually the our top five Pixar films. Um, so uh, please, I would say, uh, stick around next week to hear essentially the conclusion of a big Disney Pixar uh, part of the of the show and and our the way that we're kicking off season three. Um, so please, um, if you haven't already, you know. Rate, review, like us, subscribe on, on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Google. And I think you can do them now on Amazon and, and, and Spotify and all those great places. Um, uh, as we mentioned sort of uh, at the end of last year, uh, you can help support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. We've changed the tiers three bucks a month and you can recommend a film that we talk about uh, five bucks a month and you can actually pick a film that we do an episode on, which is a really cool thing. And we're going to hopefully get some of those in uh, at some point in early 2021. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, please, please come back next week and, uh, and, and see the the end of this epic journey as if maybe it's the end of toy story four um and as always you can find us on facebook and on twitter and uh, and let us know what you think about the toy story films and if we just totally if we totally misunderstood toy story four because i think we definitely definitely agreed <laughs> on that one um but hey until next week and our discussion of the best pixar films i am adam and i am in and we will see you next week.